It is that time again. We are back. Heavy hitters here on the radio voice of Kutztown University, K or Kutztown. I'm Jack Hyman, as always, joined by my co-host sitting to my left, Mr. Mitchell Smedley. Mitch, it is the final time that Patty and the Rats will be playing us into our show for the semester. That's so sad. Such a good song. It is. You know, it really gets the... Uh, if you're wondering, you know, yeah. It's uh, Where Red Paints the Ocean by Patty and the Rats, and I am destroying this microphone. Well, you're going to get it there in just a I got it. short... We just got to tra- make, make the transfer, screws it in with the right hand, and what a job by Smedley. Well, with that being said, we are going to get right into the nitty-gritty. No time to waste our final two-hour show of the fall semester. But don't worry, we will be right back here in January to talk plenty more sports. Time uh, likely to change, but we'll keep you posted. If you go follow our Instagram at heavyheaterskur, you can keep an update uh, to all things surrounding the show or follow and the, the studio's uh, Instagram at yeah. KUR1670 to keep up with everything going on at the station, including campus events, uh, shows, and everything uh, around that nature. But Mitch, we have some MLB to talk about here first, as we always do. Big deal, baby. Some Did you see interesting it? discussion questions. Yes, we will. We will build up the uh, oh yeah the momentum to that deal. There's other couple small signings here. Vincent Velasquez, the former Philly, hey. coming back to this to the. Keystone State. He's going to the Pittsburgh Pirates on a deal worth three point one five million dollars. So former left be, fielder. Yeah, former starting pitcher, relief pitcher, and left fielder. So. <laughs> Remember that game, Mister Versatility. That yeah, was what was that against Cincinnati? I I think it was against the Reds. Yeah, in yeah. Like the Fifteenth inning. Out, I think he threw out Suarez at the plate. Yeah. So when he was still a couple hops in time. Wow. But um, you know, a couple quotes from I was watching you know the Mets press interviews today with some of the newcomers, David Robertson, Jose Quintana, Gross. and Brooks Raley. Um, you know, some quotes there that I think are interesting, and I want to get your take because Robertson was formerly of the uh, Phillies. This what past did he season. say? What did he? No, say? no digs at the Phillies, but just some things about the Mets, and I know it's going to get under your skin. But um, you know, in the quote, what did Mister Blue Cleat say? Mr. Robertson said a couple quotes from his uh, opening interview with the Mets uh, that he attended with, like I mentioned, Quintana uh, and Raleigh, along with Mets GM Billy Epler. Uh, Robertson, a couple quotes on the Mets. He said, what a squad. And also, I want to. Uh, they want to win. I want to win. And I'm not getting any younger, David Robertson said on signing <laughs> yeah, with the duh. Mets. So a couple That's why of obvious get things. Re-signed in but, I mean, what, what, what is your take on Robertson? I know you think he's going to fall off the face of the earth and not be good. But um, if you could put your biases aside yeah. and give me an honest take on what you think David Robertson could be for the Mets. Like a four seven five ERA, I don't think is out of the question, really. Um, I really don't think he's going to be that good. I think his age will show. He'll be a, just a body in the bullpen, right? Uh, I don't think it's a premier signing of any kind. Uh, I, I think he is old, and that that is a big concern for me, especially... With the big uh, surgery he had a couple years ago, you know how much wear and tear, how much more wear and tear can his body take? Um, looked fully recovered with Chicago and with the Phillies, um, but you got to wonder, you know, like you made the point, does that surgery kind of extend his longevity um, since he wasn't pitching for a while? But or does it does it draw back from it? Does he it, it make his arm a little weaker over time? And and do we really start to see that show? Uh, we saw it toward the back half of the season last year. Um, you know, for the Mets, you know, you're hoping they don't see it even more so. Um, obviously, for the Phillies, you're hoping that exact situation pans out. But, uh, you know, you want to see a guy, you know, try and put forward his best. I just don't think his best is going to be that. I don't I don't think he has a high ceiling this year is all I'm saying. Um, you know, I, I think the, the like I said, 4.75 would be where I would put him uh, for ERA this year. You see, I'm going to disagree with you there. I'm going to go kind of the opposite. I'm not going to say he's going to be a... 
top-of-the-line reliever, but I think he'll be a pretty solid eighth-inning guy for the Mets, and he's a secondary closing option with the experience he's had as a closer over Correct. the course of his career with the Yankees. Yep. Uh, you know, with, with the Cubs last year, was you know had three saves at the Phillies and you know in his time there after the trade deadline. So he's a guy who has experience in multiple variety of roles, and he was talking about that. He said, look, I don't care what inning I pitch in. I just want to be able to give the ball to the next guy uh, if there's someone better in the bullpen like Edwin Diaz is for the Mets. And, you know, I just come in here to show up, do my job, and, you know, I, you know look, it, those are the answers you expect from guys in yeah, opening interviews. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing um, out of the nature that you say, well, you know, eh, yeah, well, what's that answer like? But no, it's, uh, you know, it's normally what you'd expect from guys, but I was just interested to see what maybe you thought about that. We're going to move on a little bit quickly here. Uh, next signing, I'm trying to find it here. Hold on, give me a minute. I thought there was one other minor one to mention outside of our Big blockbuster that came in late last night uh, going out to the West Coast. But, you know, let's just jump right into it, Mitch. I don't think we Thank got time to waste here today. You floated the idea of this happening for the Mets. Thank God that is not the case. And there was some, look, there was some actual buzz there last night before this player signed that the Mets were talking to this guy trying to get him to shift from shortstop to third base. And yeah, right. uh, yeah, right. it just it just didn't happen. I mean, Correa got that contract. With the Giants, and it is official. Carlos Correa, 13 years, $350 million going out west to the San Francisco Giants. Look, I think this is a massive overpay here. I don't oh, think, I agree. I don't think Correa is better than Turner. I don't think Correa is better than Lindor. And he got more money than both of them. So. He got more money than Harper did and in his contract. It's a case of a team that's desperate to bring in a star player after striking out on a couple of ones earlier on in the offseason, uh, be it Judge. They're yeah. probably going to lose Rodon. And I believe they were also in on... Um, they were in on Nimmo a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, they strike out on a couple of guys, and now they feel the need to bring in a superstar caliber player to this franchise. They get that in Correa. I think he'll fit nicely in that lineup and in that ballpark and out west in that division. But it's exactly what I called, Jack. I, I said they, they feel like they've missed, and, and they feel kind of embarrassed about that, and they're going to overpay. That's I believe I said that on the Monday show. We'll have to roll back the tape, but I think that was my opinion. Um, and it, it came to fruition late last night. $350 million for this guy? I don't think he's better than I, I think he's I think he's the third best shortstop on the market this year and he got the most money, right? Biggest contract? Yeah. Yeah. So complete overpay by the Giants. But I mean, what are you gonna do? what would we have said if they didn't get Correa, right? Like how embarrassing would that have been? Yeah, this team's in trouble. Yeah, twenty million dollars more, fifty million dollars more, is that something to gripe over? You know, expand that over thirteen years. It's like one to three or four million dollars extra a year. I don't think it's that horrible of a move. Especially in the situation they were in, they had to the, the, the franchise had to make a move here. Uh, they had to prove themselves to the fan base, to to uh, the players, and they did that with the Correa signing. It's a big deal. It's a tough number to swallow. Hey, he's got 13 years to prove uh, to live up to that contract. So we'll see how it goes. Absolutely, we will. But first, before we get back to our discussion, a quick message from the KUR Notebook. Attention, KU community. KUR podcast a good sampling of our programming regularly on multiple different platforms. Some of our best talk programming can be found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Simply open your Spotify or Apple Podcast and search for Kutztown University Radio and listen to the many great podcasts feature. Some of our older podcasted programming is still available on YouTube. Search for Kutztown University Radio to find them. Finally, some of our best music-based programming is podcasted on Mixcloud. Go to our Mixcloud page at www.mixcloud.com slash KUradio to listen on demand. This message is brought to you by the Radio Voice of Kutztown University, KUR. Heavy ears, everybody, here on the Radio Voice of Kutztown University, KUR, the final edition of this semester. It is so great to be behind this microphone. We mentioned it. We're not going to go back into that because we talked about that really on Monday and on last week's Wednesday show. 
But Mitch, great of the Giants. You mentioned the overpay. We'll see if he can live up to that, you know, to the pay grade there. But they had to get somebody, right? They had to go, 100%. you know, on the on the big star market, and they had to get somebody, uh, you know, out to the Bay Area. This is the right move, and they do. You know, I, I'd rather them overpay the team. Yeah, I'd rather them overpay by fifty than not shell out any money and and get no one. This exactly. is a good move for the Giants. And you see a lot of these owners do this. Well, you know, a lot of a lot of teams just aren't active in the free agent market. They don't want to be people. You know, they don't want to be teams that go out and spend the big bucks. And it's a shame because we want to see the league get better. We want to see you know this consistency of teams around the league. And there is a disparity in terms of owners being more wealthy than others and willing to to spend money, but. And that's just the way it goes, and I don't see that changing anytime soon with the structure. But for me, I like the I like the Correa deal for the Giants in terms of the player they're getting. He's a good player. Did they overpay for him? Most certainly. But he's a guy who's really, really good, and he does a lot of things quite well. So he's going to be spending the rest of his career out in San Francisco. Mitch, I had a couple other discussion points today, and it's going to sure. go back to the NL East, and it pertains to our two teams. Awesome. I was thinking about this on the car ride here to Cuts Down here today. And, you know, I don't think there's ever been a time in our lives where the possibility for the Mets and Phillies rivalry to get bigger than it can right now. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, growing up, you know, being born in 02 and, you know, seeing the Mets get, you know, gradually better and worse throughout my lifetime. I mean, the Mets in 06 was really good. And then 07 and 08, the disasters, the Phillies came in and swooped the division out of their hands. Yeah, the yeah that the was World the series. That's the big disaster. That's the rivalry moment that I think back to. Yeah. Is when it was at its most heated throughout our lives. Yeah. And then after that, the Mets really fell off after 08. They were bad until, you know, from 09 to about 2013. 14, they were pretty competitive. 15 a year, they go to the World Series. But the Phillies were yeah. kind of distant after that. Phillies, yeah, they, they had their runs from 07 to 11. 2012 was a falling year. And then 2013 to 2018 were the dark ages of this franchise. Until 2019, 2020, you start to see the pieces fill into place. 2021, it seemed like you know a time had arrived, fell apart once again, and then 2022, obviously jumping to the World Series. Uh, yeah, we haven't been good at the same time, Jack, and it's really, uh, I mean, gonna heat up the rivalry, and it's gonna make those 13 games. Now it's less than than the 19, but 13 games still gonna make them very heated throughout the season. I'm really looking forward to that. You've seen little flashes of it, right? We talked about that 07 thing. You know, you hate Utley because of what he did. Uh, I don't think that was with the Phillies, though. That was with the Dodgers, right? When he did that to... Uh, Tahada? Yeah. In 2015, that's when he was with the Dodgers. Yeah, yes. so that wasn't a Phillies moment, right? You've just seen little flashes of this stuff and, and little reasons for you to hate Philly or hate New York if you're a Phillies fan. The Reese Hoskins thing in 2019, right, with the slow trot after being hit, right? Um you know, and even last year, uh, you know, 2021 with Dom Smith and Alvarado. Yes. Yep. Alvarado and Dom so Smith. So you see these little flare-ups between these two teams, and you know, you know the bad blood is there. The rivalry is right. obviously there. But, but it's I always, think there's a yeah. new level for it. It's always one team is – I feel like one team is usually getting fired up because they know they have no chance at the playoffs and, like, let's just mix something up, make something happen, right? Let's have some so, fun with our rivals. Yeah, and then now it's, it's going to be, you know, this is going to be primetime games, right? It's going to be – every pitch is going to feel – very important in these games. I think back to the uh, the Veerling throwout of, uh, was it Marte at home plate? Yep. Yeah. Like, that was a big moment, right? Both teams are in the playoff push. It's late August, I think, mid-August, late August. Scherzer on the mound, right? It was a neck-and-neck game the entire way. Ranger duels with him. And then Mets have a chance to win it in the ninth, and Veerling makes that crazy play. And then uh, Marle- uh, Marte can't make the throw in the in the next inning. But even after that, like th- that was a playoff environment in City Field. I-, I called Jack after that game, and I told him, I want that in my baseball park. I haven't been able to have that. Luckily, I was able to get some of that in Citizens Bank throughout October. It was fantastic. Um, 
but that I feel like that's going to be on both ends what this rivalry is going to feel like over the next couple of years with both teams being competitive. Yeah, and exactly, and it only heightens our rivalries with Atlanta as well. I mean, us oh, three yeah. are going to be competing for the division yeah. for years and years to come. Remember that Mets uh, Braves series at the end of September? Yeah, when we got swept, it, it yeah. hurt. It was a tough pill to swallow, and the Braves were flat out just a better team because the Mets' offense was, you know, pretty much derailing towards the end of the season, but. You know, it's gonna. It's really gonna be an interesting year. I'm so excited for opening day. We're yes. about two months away from pitchers and catchers reporting. Uh, you know, less than 110 days away from opening day, which is pretty crazy to believe. It's but, outrageous, dude. It's coming fast. You know, yeah. you're gonna have to be. <laughs> you're gonna be caught up in the holidays, right? Then you're gonna be caught up coming back to school. And then uh, all of a sudden, baseball's gonna Super be Bowl. Yeah, and then it's spring training after the Super Bowl. So it's really gonna come fast. I'm really excited for this. I just need to see I need to see Turner out there. I need to see like my big question, and it has been for the whole year, is if Castellanos wakes up, if that's ever going to pan out. You know, uh, if if this year goes totally south for Castellanos, it, it's a it's a horrible bust of a contract, right? It's it's done. Uh, first two years are atrocious. If he hits 15 home runs, like it, it's disgusting. Um, but if he wakes up, man. If he wakes up and joins Schwarber and Hoskins uh, and Turner and Real Muto and then Harper comes back, it's just, oh, it's going to be a great summer to be a Philly fan. And, you know, you know, I can flip that, you know, in terms of the Mets. I don't yeah, really, talk about you know, it. Yeah. But, like, the starting rotation, the job that Billy Epler did this offseason, letting Bassett and Walker go for the respective contracts they got in the free agent market, and to get, if not better options, but also cheaper options. I mean, you you save a, you know, you save bucks to get guys who as a 3-4 and four and, and Sanga and Quintana who could easily pan out to be just as efficient, if not better, than what you got out of Bassett and Walker last year. And the contract that the Phillies gave Walker, I'm not saying it's an overpay, but for the Mets situation, paying him $18 million a year, I'd pack his bags for him and send him to Philly. I'm not saying it's going to be a bad contract. <laughs> I'm not saying Walker's going to be a bust for the Phillies. But for what the Mets were able to do in the free agent market and, and the robust starting pitching market that we've seen this year, for me, it's really incredible. They were able to give our three-starter $15 million a year and our four-starter $13 million a year. And those yep. are guys who are efficient guys. I mean, they do a lot of things well. I was, you know, was thinking about this today, and I was thinking about, you know, what variety of type pitcher the Mets have in their starting rotation. And they really have a lot of things. I mean, Verlander and Scherzer are guys who are going to overpower you with their stuff. They're going to get their they're heavy strikeout guys. They're guys who set them up, uh, pick them up, put them down, set them up, you know, a lot of Ks, a lot of strikeouts. And, you know, you move on down the rotation. Sanga's a guy who's got that, you know, Topping out fastball over 100, but sitting around that 96, 97 mark. He's got that ghost forkball pitch, which is just absolutely filthy. And, you know, however else he complements his rotation with that, uh, you know, he's going to be a guy who can get a lot of swings and misses as well, but he also is a guy who can pinpoint location. And then Quintana, he's surgical on the mound. I mean, if he can bring what he did last year with the Pirates and Cardinals, uh, you know, into City Field, he's a guy who's not a lot of, you know, velo, but he overpowers you in terms of his location. He's, you know, pinpoint precise with the ability he has of locating his pitches. And then, you know, however else you fill it out, the depth the Mets have. I mean, Carrasco, Peterson, McGill, Lucchese, Hernandez, they have depth like crazy in the starting rotation. You know, there have been rumors the Mets have been trying to, you know, test the Carrasco trade market or maybe even a six-man rotation could come into play. But I'm just so excited about what the starting pitching rotation is going to be able to do. I know be. the age is a factor, but we have so yeah. many depth arms. I mean, David Peterson off his stats last year could easily be in a lot of big league rotations. And he's a six guy right now. So that's just sh- shows a testament to what you know, Epler's been able to do on the starting pitching side of things and build up that depth like crazy for the Mets. It's another reason the, the rivalry is going to be so intense this year. It's going to be strength on strength. That starting rotation for the Mets against this blockbuster lineup the Phillies have assembled. You know, it, it's going to be strength on strength. And then obviously you have the other matchup of the the Mets lineup versus the the Phillies pitching. 
uh, you know, that Walker aspect now. He's uh, a former Met. The Robertson aspect, former Philly. Like, this rivalry, like, it, it's one thing for both teams to be good, but to have players continue to move back and forth between these two teams, like, uh, who else? It's it's uh, Wheeler was a former Met. Who's the other pitcher that the Phillies have? Uh, Syndergaard. Syndergaard, yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, there's there's Mets on the Phillies. There's Phillies on the Mets. Like, this rivalry, I think, is primed to really have a fantastic year. We both hate the Braves, right? But we both agree that they're probably going to win the division. I think the Phillies and Mets are more likely to be the neck-and-neck teams really fighting it out um, to to get that separation for the playoff spot uh, down the stretch. And I think that's really going to be... Uh, an exciting thing to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I think it can go anyway. Honestly, I think any of these three teams are capable of winning the division. I really do. Most they likely all... to least likely. Who do you think? <sighs> That's a great question. <sighs> to put it in an order, I think the Phillies and Mets are just so close. I mean, look, the Mets were a top five lineup last year in efficiency, and they have this you know contact-oriented approach. But they do lack power, and that's the one thing yep. that I think we need to address. And I think a fourth outfielder that would be really great for the Mets, Adam Duvall. We saw him hit many home runs for the Braves. Yeah, he's, and for he's the still got it, clearly. Yeah, he's a guy who can hit the ball out of the ballpark. I think he'd be a great fit as a fourth outfielder up in Queens. But for me, if I had to rank these three teams, look, I can't I can't de-rank the Braves until someone does it. i, I got to put the Braves one. I hear you. And honestly, I it, it's so tough because these teams have the respective strengths. But if you're looking at a team as an overall I'd give the Mets the slight edge, and here's why. I know you're going to be like, whoa, 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 what? Because I do not. I, I, I will be very clear. I, I give the Phillies the edge, but but here's why. Make a case. Okay, so the Mets last year, ah, dang, I want to go into this now, but unfortunately. We're gonna, we'll, we'll do it on the other side of the break. We'll do it on the I, other I'll side give of the my break. reasoning after you. Instead. We'll, we'll talk this out. We'll talk this out. Yeah. Over break, we're going to step aside real quick. Let me come back further getting our MLB discussion, breaking down our NL East thoughts and uh, discussions about our favorite teams and the state of the division and how it's going to try to go out next year. So plenty more coming to you next year on Heavy Hitters. Don't go anywhere on the radio voice of Kutztown University, K. or Kutztown. And welcome back into Heavy Hitters here, our number one of our final show of the semester, using this allotted time to discuss the NL East Phillies, Mets, Braves, the old triangle of uh, teams duking it out last season. They'll do it again this season. All three were playoff teams in 2022. One was a World Series team. Uh, another division round exit and a wild card exit. It's a competitive division. It's very dynamic, you know, uh, aside from the Nationals and, and Marlins. Marlins are trying to make a comeback. Nationals have no sense of direction. Uh, but it's a three-horse race in the NL East. Jackson Mets fan. I'm a Phillies fan. Mitchell Smedley here on the mic. And, uh, well, we have some Braves listeners and stuff. Uh, why don't we Why don't we give them something to cheer about for a second, Jack? There was a trade that came in, I believe, after our show on Monday, right? Yes, yeah, so why don't you walk us through it? Because it's complicated. It's a three-team deal, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it yeah. is. And the, the Braves really did a good job here. I think the Braves and Brewers did a really good job. Oakland, I'll get to them in a minute. Oakland's no, Oakland. Yeah, Oakland's Oakland. But um, this trade, three-team trade, like Mitch mentioned, uh, you know, the A's got a haul back. We'll start with them real quick because they didn't really get much notable pieces. They get Braves' number one prospect, Kyle Muller, who is outside the top 100, and also along with Freddie Tarnock, who is their number six. Two pitchers going to Oakland. Shows the uh, lack of depth in the uh, Braves' farm system. And Manny Pena will also be going to the A's uh, in sorts of a catcher. He's with Atlanta, so they get them. And Esther Ruiz will also be going to the Oakland A's in the Sean Murphy trade. Uh, That's what Milwaukee contributed into into the trade piece here, but let me look up full details, just making sure I'm getting everybody uh, on the side of the trade, but in terms of Murphy, what the Braves are getting, they're a guy, he's a guy who is... Now here's a guy. I was waiting for that. I was absolutely (laughs) 
waiting for that. <laughs> oh, and uh, the the ace also got uh, right-handed pitcher Roiber Salinas is the other guy I was forgetting. From the Braves or the Brews? From the Braves. Okay. Uh, Milwaukee gets uh, William Contreras. Yeah. So that's a good get. I mean, for considering what Milwaukee threw into this trade. Not bad. Uh, they get... You know, Willie Contreras is a guy who can come in and be a DH guy right away. I mean, he's going to feast at that ballpark. Yep. Miller Park, very hitter-friendly, and he's going to be hitting a lot of home runs. I mean, he could be a guy who's hitting close to 30 a year, uh, just considering, you know, Milwaukee and it's, you know. I just realized something. Do you think Miller got its name from Milwaukee? It's not even called Miller Park anymore. It's called American Family Field. Right, but, oh, like, when goodness. it was. Yeah, I guess. Huh. I mean, I think, Miller, I think Miller Light was distributed in Milwaukee. Like um, like the headquarters, I think might have been there. Yeah, so maybe I, that's why they partnered with. I feel it. like that's where they got the name then. So, you know, like yeah. Mill Milwaukee Miller. You yes, know, probably named after the city. That anyways, makes sense. anyways, sorry. But getting back to this trade talk here, we're gonna we're gonna go with the the, the Brewers here. We're, we'll talk a little bit more in depth about what the A's got. I list all the names and give what the potential upside would be. What you know everything. How everything could shape up. But for Milwaukee, they get William Contreras, who's a very solid piece. Like I mentioned, he's a slugger, guy who hits a lot of home runs, extra base hits, that type of variety. I was going to write into pitcher Justin Yeager, uh, who's in the minor leagues. His upside is not really all that great, uh, but maybe he can pan out to something. And also right-handed pitcher Joel Piamps, I think. It's P-A-Y-A-M-P-S. So going with going with the rough rough estimate here. So uh, Pamps. Joel Pamps, um, I guess. So that's what Milwaukee gets. (laughs) Two pitchers who, you know, I don't think they're going to be impactful pieces. I mean, Piamps had a a three and a half ERA last year with the Royals, so not Hmm. awful. He could be a guy who can factor into their bullpen in the middle innings. Uh, Yeager coming up to the minor leagues. We'll see what he could turn out to be. And Contreras is a good piece. So Milwaukee comes out, uh, I'd say, on the winning side of this trade here. Uh, Atlanta, Sean Murphy, you get a top five catcher in the game, a a defensively sound. Putting it, you know, lightly, he's a very, very good defensive catcher. He's a guy last year, you know, hit 18, 18 pumps, 66 ribbies with the A's in a very non-hitter friendly ballpark. Now joining a lineup with a lot of protection, and we'll see what he can do. I mean, he's never really played in the spotlight games before. I would say, you know, I played in a couple playoff games in Oakland, but nothing really of substantial recognition. So we'll see how he does in the big time spotlight and big games with the Braves. But I think it's a good move for Atlanta. Now Darno's going to shift to a backup role, and. They get deeper at the position. There's a guy who's very sound defensively. If you're looking at the infield right now, it's it's Murphy behind the plate. You got Olsen at first. Albies will be at second. Uh, you got Ron Grissom at short with Dansby Sausen being on the free agent market. And then you got Austin Riley at third. That's a really sound infield. Yeah, that's I mean, really shortstop, good. you're going to be looking to upgrade but a little bit, but we'll see how Grissom develops. But overall, the Braves have really solid infield, and this roster is coming together nicely. And also, Murphy's not getting paid a whole lot of money, and he's in the prime of his career. He's, twenty, I think, 27 or 28 years old. He'll be playing the prime years of, of his career with the Braves, and we'll see what he can do. I mean, he's a really good get for this Atlanta team, considering what they gave up. I mean, they gave up guys. You know, Muller has the probably the highest upside at any pitcher that the A's got in this deal. He's got a you know a flamethrowing fastball, but not much breaking stuff that works off of that. So we'll see if he can develop. Um, in terms of how he's able to progress in his development, you know, I'm talking about my buddy who's a good Braves fan. He's like, look, Muller's got a good fastball, but when he's wild with that thing, he is. Really, really rough out there on the mound. So I'm interested to see. Interested to see how that goes for the A's. But for Murphy to Atlanta, really good deal for the Braves. Brewers get some good assets back as well. Uh, but for Oakland, I mentioned Kyle Muller. Esther Ruiz, he's a guy with a lot of speed. Still 65 bases in the minor leagues. Uh, so he's a speedster. He can play a lot of different positions. And that brings some value uh, to Oakland. You know, if they're hoping he can turn out, swing the bat a little bit, he could probably be the highest upside piece they got in this trade. 
Uh, you got Freddie Tarnock, who's not really great. He's a 24-year-old pitcher and not really going to provide much for the A's. Uh, you got Roy Bersalinas, who in single A last year and I believe got called up to double A at the end of the year. He's got a over, he's got a high velocity fastball, but other than that, you know, they're they're gonna hope he could try to be like a middle of the relie- middle of the road reliever kind of guy at his absolute peak. I think I don't think he's gonna be a guy who can come in here and be a top flight reliever, but uh, I could be proven wrong. And then Manny Pena is a uh, you know veteran backstop who's. You know, you know, towards the final years of his career, he'll just be a backup catcher uh, yep. for this team. So, again, not really great assets for Oakland. I mean, you trade a top five catcher in the game and you get really nothing substantial back. It's a really bad trade for Oakland. No top 100 prospects. It's just puzzling to me how the A's are able to even do this and the Braves will take their take their top five catcher and say thank you very much because we didn't really give up a whole lot. So, is what it is. Good trade for, for Atlanta and the, you know, beast of the East, the top dog for the last five years, only continues to get better and better while not yep. really spending a whole lot of money to do it. So It's unfortunate. It is. You know, it's bad news for the Phillies and the Mets, but again, that's why it's going to be a fun three-team race in the East this year, and we'll see how it all shakes up. But, yeah, only makes the uh, only makes the party a little more exciting to come to and watch in the NL East this year. So. Yes, sir. Uh, anyway, so let's get back to what we were talking about, talking about the top three teams in the NL East. Uh, and how we would rank them currently. I mean, Jack and I have mentioned you gotta, you gotta beat the beast to be the best. Um, that sounds like a slogan or something. But, yeah, it uh, does. It's uh, like a punchline. <laughs> but uh, the Phillies did that question mark? Did they really? I mean, they did it in a five game series. It only went four because they crushed them. Uh, Phillies beat the Braves in the playoffs. But I mean, do you got to do it in one sixty two to be the to be the uh, best? Um, in the division is my question because the Phillies obviously went the furthest out of these three teams. Jack, does that factor in at all to your thought process on ranking these guys? Because the Phillies did topple the Braves. They did. But, okay, here's my thing. It's almost like two different seasons, you know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. you play the full 162 in about 184 days to get there. And then when playoffs start, things change like we saw with the Phillies this year. Like mm-hmm. this, The Phillies team in the postseason was not the Phillies team we saw in the regular season. Not at all. Well, the Phillies team... That we saw in the regular season battled the Braves very closely throughout the they season. They did, but they, you know, the Phillies postseason team also pitched a lot better, mm-hmm. especially with the starting rotation. You got a lot more clarity and consistency out of Ranger Suarez, which was huge to their run. Massive. Their bullpen, you know, they they pitched pretty well, especially in those first three rounds, and especially against Atlanta. I mean, the Braves didn't really get much of anything going off the bullpen. Yeah, and just that Olsen home run. Yeah, exactly. So I mean. Look, that's the key thing for me. The Phil- the question with the Phillies for me will always be bullpen, bullpen, bullpen. Who are they going to go to? Who's going to be closing games? I mean, mm-hmm. that's my, that's my big question. Because I mean, right now you got what Sarantini's going to be the eight guy or nine guy right now because you don't really have a set in stone closer. Resigned Knabel, I think. You got Knabel back, but you saw what he was like closing games last year. It yeah. wasn't really not fun. It was not fun. It was a roller coaster experience, and oh, more times boy, than not, it. and more times than not, it, it it came out on the wrong end of things for the Phillies and their fan base. So I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of un- there's a lot of question marks with the Phillies bullpen right now. That's my big concern. The starting rotation's fine. Yet Wheeler, Nola, Suarez, Walker, and you can fill in the blank with whoever that fifth spot is. That's fine. It's going to be a top half at least rotation, probably borderline. You know, just inside that top ten for me. But you know, the bullpen. Who's going to be closing games? Who's going to be locking it down? Who do these starters turn the ball over to that you feel comfortable at the end of game saying, yeah, you know what, these guys are going to be able to go out there and get the job done night in and night out. I just don't know who those guys are right now outside of. You know, Dominguez, who's your best reliever, it's really not even a discussion. Knable, you know, he's good, but we saw him he was better in that seventh, eighth inning role. Right. W- where do they go after that, though? That's my question. Exactly. Because you had the uh, Alvarado Robertson, and for the first half of the, for a couple months there, you had Brad Hand, who was a really electric guy uh, in the back end of the bullpen. Yeah, and then we saw Brad Hand come back down to earth and see what he's been in the past years. So. Right. So he's gone. 
Uh, for all intents and purposes, with that, the uh, Alvarado, I guess, right? He's still yeah, he's contract. still here. But uh, I hate him personally for the. Uh, but is he really a guy you feel comfortable every night going out and like? No, because hitting. he lost me a World Series. Exactly. No, I don't. I will never enjoy an Alvarado uh, pitching event again ever. Yeah. It's the seventh inning, and you see Jose Alvarado trot out of the ball. Ruins. It, it, it's just like, do it you will, really feel comfortable? No, it, I'm honest about this. It will ruin many of my nights coming up in the summer. Like I will be having a good night, uh, only for Jose Alvarado to come back. Even if he strikes out the side. Five nights in a row, I will still be reminded every single time of that home run, and it, it will just crush me. It will just ruin my night. So that's a personal thing that I don't like Jose Alvarado anymore. And, and the honest truth is, he should not have been the one that we went to uh, in the bullpen. He was not pitching well the last week before that. And Astros crushed left-handed pitching. Exactly. It was a dumb decision. I I ranted about this immediately following the World Series. Just didn't make sense. It it was a dumb move. I honestly blame Rob Thompson more. But Jose Alvarado is just—he's a symbol of it. He's a symbol of that moment. He's a symbol of the downfall. Uh, and there's a lot of blame to go around. Getting no hit in Game Four does, or Game Five does not help, right? No, it was Game Four. Was it Game Four? Yeah. Okay. Then, uh, yeah, because then, then we lost three five. two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, Marsh striking out with first and third, one out in the eighth inning of Game Five doesn't help, right? There's other blame to go around. Castellanos disappearing at the plate doesn't help. But Jose that was Alvarado, all year, though. right? That was all year. But Jose Alvarado will forever be the symbol of the downfall in the World Series. And I just, it's going to be hard to stomach. It's going to be really upsetting. You know, touch them all, uh, Alvarez. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Yeah, I mean, look, it's certainly going to hurt. I totally understand that. And it makes sense. But, you know, each of these teams has got their respective question marks for me. Yeah. And what's the question mark on the Braves? I think starting pitching, depth-wise. Yeah. You know, you got freed at the top. My, I was talking about, you know, this is a great question because I was talking about my buddy, uh, you know, to my buddy last night, and I was at his house. And we were talking about baseball and a bunch of other stuff, and we were talking about the Braves starting rotation. I'm like, if there's a pinpoint weakness, I think for the Braves team, it's starting rotation. I mean, we know what we're getting out of Freed. He's an ace type level pitcher. Yep. But then you know, your Strider, that's his first year breakout onto the scene. Yeah. You had Kyle Wright, who was really struggling early on in his career, but seemed to have found it last year. I'm interested if those two guys can keep it going, especially Strider, because of the way he's pitched. The way he pitches, he's a primarily fastball guy. Throws up orders of near in a hundred, and then he, you know he combos it with that slider, and then he you know has a changeup, but he doesn't really have much effective, I would say, pitches after that. So I'm interested to see now that the league's getting more of a look at him. You know, as a t- primarily two pitch pitcher, how is he going to be able to work as the years go on? I'm interested to see if he'll be can, you know, if he'll be able to continue the success he found last year. And, I mean, if he can, the Braves are going to be fine, just fine in the starting rotation, especially if him and Kyle Wright are just as good. You know, you got an aging Charlie Morton there who's probably lining up as your four right now. He's never been good anyway. He's not great. I mean, he was good with Houston in 2017. In, I mean, for the Braves. Like, yeah. in recent well, years, he's not even yeah, the a last pitcher, two years. he's a year older. Yeah, the last two years. When he first, you know, first one or two years in Atlanta, he was fine, especially the 2020 year. And, yeah. Um, but, you know, especially last year, he really started to take a downfall. And, it, it, you know, Charlie Morton's the guy who relies heavily on that curveball. If that curveball's not working, if it doesn't have that nasty 12-6 hook action on it, he's pretty much toast. I mean, he's a, such a hittable pitcher, and he's really susceptible to the long ball. And another year older, I don't feel confident. And then you got Ian Anderson in that five spot. You have a couple options behind him now that Muller and Tarnock are gone, though. I mean, what you have Mike Soroka, who hasn't pitched in two years. He's going to be coming back. Is he the same pitcher? I mean, it's it's rational to have the questions about the Braves starting rotation. I think the yes. bullpen will be fine. Rysel Iglesias is going to step up into that closing role now that Kenley Jansen's gone. But, you know, the starting rotation, I think, is the one area where you could have a question mark if you had to pick. It's not a glaring issue for the Braves, 
But if I had to select one group on this team, I'd say you could make some cases that the starting pitching could be an area of slight concern. No, I definitely agree. I don't think Morton's a good pitcher, and he's the four, right? So, yeah. Uh, and like you said, Strider and, and Wright have their own question marks. Uh, Freed is really the only slam dunk going to be a good pitcher for you. Uh, so I think starting pitching is a massive question mark. I, I, it's really interesting because that would mean that the three top teams in the NL East each have different weaknesses. One has starting pitching in Atlanta, one has bullpen pitching in Philly, and one has a lineup issue in New York. Well, a, a power issue. I mean, the Mets, if you look at it last year, they were a top five lineup in efficiency. Run scored. They were a very good batting average team. So they're, they're a team that can get hits, but in terms of extra base hits and power, that is the area of weakness. Need those to win games. Absolutely. I'm not disagreeing with you in that aspect, but I'm just saying it's not a whole lineup issue. It's a power issue. I, I, I understand. But, I mean, in today's day and age... You need to be able to hit the long ball. You need Absolutely. to be able to hit big big shots. Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't so agree more. I, it's really interesting to me to see which weakness is going to be, you know, the biggest weakness, right? Uh, and then you compare the other... You know, like for each of the weaknesses, you compare the other two teams that don't have that weakness. Phillies lineup versus Braves lineup, who are you taking? I don't know. Sean Murphy, and man, that makes a discussion so, so close. Really does, yeah. You know, if you go position by position here, I let's mean, do it. Let's, let's just go group by group instead. Of, I mean, we can go position by position for infield, but we'll compare the outfields, you know, relatively as a whole. I'm taking the Phillies outfield. I'm taking the Phillies outfield but, as well. Well, actually. Okay. Especially when Harper comes back. If when Harper's back and fully healthy, I'll take him. But and for I'll starting wait and see on purposes, for the start of the season, who they have to start the season, I'll take the Braves just because they know what I'm getting more in Acuna and Harris compared to just really Schwarber out there. You know, if you have Schwarber, Marsh, and Castellanos compared to Rosario, Harris, and Acuna, I'm taking the Braves trio. I'm not sold on Harris. I don't think Harris is going to be that good. Well, the problem is you have. At least one. If you're going to comparatively look at the depth outside of it, Acuna is better than Schwarber. And then you compare really? to the he rest is? of the two. As a hitter? I, I think, well, Ronald wasn't fully healthy last year. I think Schwarber's a better that. hitter. Schwarber led the league in home runs. Yes, but it's all-around hitting. Schwarber's a better power hitter, but a better all-around hitter, I'm thinking. Yeah, better power, Acuna. but yeah, but uh, Acuna has the higher average. Higher average, he's you know he's faster, which means he leads to more doubles, triples. I just think an overall value as a hitter, I'm taking... Acuna, but Schwarber certainly. I'm not trying. Oh, look, I'm not trying to discredit Kyle Schwarber. He's a yeah. very good power hitter. Yeah. He hits the crap out of the baseball. He hits yes, the ball. He, does. he can hit the ball a country mile if he gets all the second deck in Petco Park. I mean, yeah. You look, both these guys have their respective talents, and Ronald Acuna's a guy who can hit almost 40 home runs a year. So it's a guy who's can not. I'm going to say match it, but he can hit close to the level of home runs that Schwarber can hit. Okay. And in terms of overall volume, taking Acuna just all around, but. Yeah, Acuna's the more complete player. Agreed. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, Marsh and Harris. I'm taking Harris. Probably sorry, Harris a little bit. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be that that much far and away better. Like I said, I think Marsh improves uh, over time. Yeah. I don't think Harris is that fantastic. I I think a lot of this year is flash in the pan stuff. Personally, that's how I evaluate the player. Um, and then right or er, uh, right field for the Phils is Castellanos currently. Well, yeah. Well, I compared Schwarber and Acuna. Would it be Schwarber and Rosario? So I'm taking Schwarber. Yeah. I'm taking Harris, and then I'm taking Acuna. So I'm taking two out of three business who it starts. When Harper gets back and healthy, I take the Phillies. But for who they're starting the season with, it is imperative to note that I'm taking the Braves. Okay. I, I still, you know, I think down the stretch when it matters most, Phillies get the edge there. Yeah, because Harper will be back. Yep, exactly. But who Harper they're starting the season off with, that's what I'm comparing I to. I also think there's a, a world where Castellanos is back to a at least a moderate form of his 2021, se- 20, yeah, 2021 season. 
And that completely changes the discussion. Because if you have two consistent power hitters uh, in that outfield compared to just Schwarber, I-, I think the Phillies then would be in the conversation for taking it without Harper. And then you add in Harper and it's a whole n- whole new discussion once again. Uh, remains to be seen, though, because Castellanos has not proven it. Right? All right, $100 million man, not doing anything. So infield, where are you going with that? Well, we do have to take a break. So oh, I was we gonna do? Say, oh, I didn't up. even notice. Mitch, hopeful optimism for Castellanos next year. Eileen Braves, he will, I'd say, I'm gonna slightly braves, but he'll be a wait-and-see game. Yeah. Um, we're we're going to step aside for a final break of hour number one. When we come back, further getting our MLB discussion, wrapping up our discussion, comparing the Phillies and the Braves in their lineup, and then I have an interesting discussion question yeah. uh, reeling back to the Mets and the ownership situation there, and I'm going to ask you a question about what do you think is uh, good or bad for baseball about Steve yeah. Cohen's I want to touch on Mets spending. and Braves pitching, too, by the so, way. So. All right, plenty more to t- uh, talk about in MLB side of things coming up next here on Heavy Hitters on the radio voice of Kutztown University, KOR Kutztown. And welcome back into Heavy Hitters, everybody, right here on the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR Kutztown. Jack Hyde, Mitchell Smedley, we are coming back at you again. This is the final edition of Heavy Hitters for this fall semester. Once again, it's been a great semester broadcasting to really you all out been. there. Everyone who listens, your listenership, once as always, uh, much appreciated. I mean, yeah. thank you all to listening to our show. We have some loyal listeners out there like Chris and others. But, um, yeah, and everyone who listens, you are appreciated, whether it's just once or or continued. So Chris representing the Braves fans out there. Yes, which is why we also like to talk about Atlanta, not just because of Chris, but because they're in our division and they're one of our biggest rivals. Yep. So getting back to that discussion, we were talking about the Phillies and the Braves comparatively looking at their lineups going into next season. Here to start, we know Harper will be back at the All-Star break, and that's why I emphasized that I would take the Braves just because Harper's not there to start the season. But we're going to move to the infield now. We're going to take a look at third base. And look, I'm taking Austin Riley over Alec Bohm. That's a. I think you take him. That's uh, not. Bohm will a improve, but not even close to the it's, Riley yeah, level. Not right? a debate. So, not a debate. But I don't want it to get lost in the shuffle. Bohm is going to improve. He's a young guy still. Him yeah. and Stott. I'm not it, saying Bohm's bad will be at all. the same thing. I'm just saying Riley's a top five third baseman. Absolutely. And, and that, I'm not even arguing. I'm not making any sort of argument that Bohm is better than uh, Riley at all. Not even close. But when we look at the grand total of the infield. I don't want to get it twisted that Bohm is some scrub and the Phillies don't have any good third baseman there. I mean, Bohm, you know, he hit home run in the World Series. He's got a good I, bat. I that's one thing. But, uh, yeah, he, he really took a step up with his bat this season. He's always been coined for that good, you know, for that good stick in terms of, you know, coming out of college and, you know, being drafted by the Phillies. This guy was being touted as the next slug in third baseman, you know, you know, for the Phillies. And know? he should be. He's got the build for it. And I think the power's starting to turn around. So, Alec Bohm. Uh, someone to watch at third base for the Phils. Had that whole controversy at the uh, beginning of the season. Had a really career year so far, uh, and he's still young, still improving. Excited to see what Bohm brings. Moving on. Shortstop. Trey Turner. Trey Easy. Turner. Well, there's no debate. No because debate at all. Dansby's not back, and even if, even if he back, was, come on. Dansby's really good, but he's not Trey Turner. Yep. So. Second base. I'm taking Albies. You're taking Albies over Stott. When Albies was fully healthy, and that's key. Yep. He was one of, if not the best, second baseman in all of baseball in terms of what he's able to do. He's good defensively. He's a guy who hits well, hits for average, can get on base, does a lot of things well. And I'm not saying Stott's you know, not incapable of that. He can, but he's got to take steps forward. He's a young guy. I agree. Actually, it was his rookie year. He still needs to improve on some things. He's got some good plate discipline, and I like to see that from young guys. Because you know that's a really a building block for a young guy. You know, you yeah. sometimes you see these young guys come up into the league. You know, they're you know they're antsy. They want to chase. They want to hit. And right. Stott's very disciplined at the plate. Uh, for, for for the most part, and you know that, that's an area where you could build off of, you know, developing power, developing the contact skills. So I think Stott will be just fine. But in terms of right now, I'm taking Albies over Stott. So this is this is maybe my hotter take 
in the uh, in the lineup discussion. I am a huge believer in Bryson Stott. Uh, I also want to make a few notes here. Uh, two of his biggest hits last season came against the Braves. A eighth inning, three-run home run to take the lead off of, uh, was that Jansen? May have been, or it was Will Smith. Uh, Will Smith? No, that's not <laughs> who I'm thinking of. No way. Who's that? Uh, who was the eighth inning guy for the Braves last year? It was uh, Iglesias. Okay, yeah. It was either Jansen or Iglesias. I want to say Jansen. Um, and then in the obviously against Strider, he had the like ten pitch at bat, resulting in the uh, the double that scored Marsh took the lead in Game Three. He also had that uh, walk off home run against the Angels. That was on a 3-2 count, just like the Strider at bat. Uh, and he had another nearly walk-off home run at a game I was at against the Reds. Hit off the top of the wall, tied the game. Uh, that was also a deep count. Uh, Stock can work at bats, man. You talk about that plate discipline. He really does work the at bats. That's you know something we saw with Hoskins coming up, right? He takes a lot of pitches. Um, and Stott does it too. I'm a huge believer in Bryson Stott. There were stretches last year where he just kept getting on base and then there were stretches where he was just ice cold you know it happens as a rookie people make adjustments against you um personally though i think over the next two to three years stott is going to take huge leaps forward each and every year Uh, i think he's going to be a cornerstone of this phillies uh lineup you know you got to replenish right you got to replenish with your own homegrown talent i think bryson stott is one of those key guys that comes up from our own farm system and is a a philly for a long time and a really good one at that uh, Bryson Stott, I think, will be better than Swanson. Uh, Swanson, wait, no, Albies, right? Yes. <laughs> I, I am having some Atlanta gaffes in the last two weeks. That it's is okay. I, I corrected that one, though. I, I knew it didn't sound right coming out of my mouth. Uh, better than Albies at second base this year. That's my hotter take. Uh, and then you get Olsen over Hoskins at first. Hoskins, a 30-home run guy, though. No scrub himself. Contract year. I expect big things out of Reese Hoskins this year. But it's Matt Olsen, so... You know, and then JT Romuto, I think, wins the discussion over Murphy now. But like you said, Murphy, top five catcher, it's close, but JT Romuto uh, over Murphy. So I assume you also have Olsen and Romuto, right? Yes. Yes, I do. So we're going to total that up. Uh, that is one for the Braves. You have two and three. I have three for the Phillies. So we go, we differ on the infield. Yeah, uh, I take the Braves as a whole in terms of we've looked at comparatively. I'm taking the Braves outfield. Yep. I took three of the four Braves infielders, and and then the catcher, I go to the Phillies. So yep. I only took three Phillies. I took Romuto, I took Turner, and then I took Schwarber. Right. So for the way it's going to start, I'm taking the Braves. But when Harper comes back, I take the Phillies outfield two out of three. Yep. I still stick three out of four in the infield, which makes it, I would believe, a wash, right? Or uh, it would, but Romuto is going to give you the edge for the Phillies. Yeah. So... I think it's a really interesting debate, and then I also wanted to get into, uh, you know, since the uh, the Phillies have the weaker bullpen. Oh, we didn't say DH. Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about DH. That's important now. Um, I, mean, we were missing, I was trying to count it up. I'm like, wait, that's only eight. We need nine hitters. Yeah, you're absolutely right on that. So, uh, DH, uh, starting on, who is the Phillies DH going to be? I think it's going to be, like, Derek Hall. Probably to start. Gross. Either Hall or... Hall or Veerling. I don't even know who. I mean, what you're gonna have Schwarber, Schwarber in left, Martian center. I would almost do a, a in right. Veerling. In I put left. Veerling in left and Schwarber. Schwarber DH. DH. That would make a lot more sense. That would make way more sense. Uh, Harper being out, you're allowed to do that starting the season uh, because eventually one of those DH spots is going to go to either Harper, Castellanos, or Schwarber. Uh, so I would put, yeah, Veerling in left and then Schwarber DH. 
Ooh, that was blinding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, who's the Braves DH? Ooh, good question. It's a, it's a very good question. It was it Duvall. was Contreras. Oh, Contreras, because Duvall was out a lot of last year with an injury. Yeah, he started the season. Though, so right? now it's probably going to be Darno. Okay, Travis Darno, um, backup catcher. So I I don't know. That's kind of a wash for me. Derek Hall slash. Oh no 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 no. Derek Hall is a wash to Travis Darno. No, I'm kidding. Come on, stop the cap, man. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. One of them is a decent baseball player. The other is not. We're going to get back to that in a minute. I do have a message <laughs> from the KUR Notebook. I tried to sneak one by. I'm Attention good. KU community. Want KUR at your event? No problem. Go to www.kutztown.edu slash KUR, find live events slash remotes, read the reminders, and fill out the form. Our promotional director or an e-board member of KUR will reach out to you as soon as possible. An important reminder about events is that KUR needs at least three weeks' notice to even consider your event, no exceptions. This message is brought to you by the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR. Heavy hitters, everybody. Uh, Jack High, Mitchell Smedley, we're back at you here in hour number one, wrapping it up. We're going to stick with the MLB. And, you know. Derek Hall. Derek Hall is not better, better than Travis, Travis Darno. Okay, <laughs> two more questions, Mitch, before the end of hour number one. Yeah. Steve Cohen and the Mets have spent a. A lot of money. Crazy amount of money. Yeah. Most pay, highest payroll of any team ever in MLB history. Is Cohen's willingness to spend at all costs to make sure the Mets are a winning product and have a chance at the World Series a good or a bad thing for baseball? I think it's a bad thing. And I've always been on this. Uh, and the Phillies, what are they, number three or four? Yeah. Highest payroll, right? This would hurt the Phillies, too, if what I'm suggesting came to fruition. I think the MLB should be a capped league. I think there needs to be a hard salary cap like the NFL. Um, I just don't like the idea that the bigger markets have a better chance to win a World Series just because they have more money. I don't think it's fair to the sport. Um, I, I've never understood why that is a thing. The luxury tax is puny. Um, no, I'm not in favor of it. I, I think it's a bad thing for baseball. I think there's a two. it's a two-sided coin here, and I'm going to lean in terms of taking both sides because I don't think there's one definitive answer. I think it's a good thing. Because the players are able to get paid. And it also shows, look, the owner is willing to win, and why should he be penalized for that? He has the money to spend. He wants his hometown team to win. And he's willing to do it at all costs. That's good for him. That's good for baseball because it also brings a lot more publicity in the game in terms of you know media coverage. Oh, well, look at Steve Cohen's doing. So many guys are going to the Mets. And, you know, it is a bad thing. But it's not my fault that these small market teams and their owners don't want to spend money. Look. At the end of the day, most of the owners in the MLB are billionaires. Like, these guys have wealth upon wealth. They, I'm not going to say, I can't say they're going to all spend Steve Cohen money because that's just not realistic. I'm an but even playing field To spend guy. no money? Come on. To spend no money at all? That's a joke. That's a joke. Come on. I'm it sorry. Needs to be an the even owner of the A's can't spend money on one player to keep in town? I come on. Even the Rays kept Wander Franco for 12 years. And they make just barely more money than the A's do. But they made the decision to keep Wander Franco around because they knew he's a franchise-type talent. Where does the money come from in the NFL? Does it come out of the owner's pocket? I believe... No, there's a hard salary cap. Yeah, but 
the owner does what you're saying. The owners don't put money into the contracts. I don't understand how it works in the NFL. Actually, I well, really the owners don't. put money in the contracts. Okay. I mean, that's I mean, what, what's the point of owning get, the team? Well, if you're I, spending I, money on no, the team. I think the team. I thought it was like a team fund that you dip into. No, I mean, yeah, partly because it gets distributed, but also if you look at it with the luxury tax system, the more Cohen spends, the tax money that Cohen pays gets distributed around the league. So all those teams get the tax money that Cohen pays. I don't care. For going over the luxury I tax. really don't care. What so I that think, does help small market teams because in the end also, they do get more money. I think it's also a strategy thing where if there's a hard salary cap, like why is Howie Roseman such a good manager? By the way, they're not going to do that. I don't think it's ever going to happen. No, it's not. But I think it should. But why is Howie Roseman a good manager? Because he's a cap genius. Because he wields contracts and he wheels and deals and gets players under contracts and maximizes how many good players he can have on his roster. That's why Howie Roseman is so beloved around here, because he works cap magic. It's a whole other element of strategy, uh, not to mention it prevents these juggernaut teams from just owning the league forever. Well, I, I hate that. This, I can I, say this as a Mets fan. I need parity. I mean, there can be parity if owners want to step up and spend the money, but they are not willing to. There's it needs to be a hard cap. Compete. It shouldn't just players be. Players aren't going to go for that. Eventually, because it limits how much players can make. I don't care. And the players aren't going to go for that. I don't care. So. Mahomes in a capped league just made five hundred million dollars in a capped league where baseball doesn't generate nearly enough revenue. Excuse me, as the as the NFL does. Do you know why that close. is though? Do you want maybe it's because it's not as competitive as the NFL. Maybe it's because teams in Cincinnati, teams in Pittsburgh are not playing well because they don't have the money to spend. The last back-to-back champion was the ninety-nine two thousand Yankees. There hasn't been a repeat champion since then. So I mean. Different teams have won it. There has been parity. Like a team like the White Sox, they won the 05 World Series. That I mean, that's not recently, but that's not too far long ago either. It's a so rarity. But the I Royals, mean, 2015, they won the World Series. They're not a big market team. It's rarities. The Rays, 2020, they made the World Series. Made it, yeah. So, I mean, look, there, there's these but small you get, then you get teams that like the Astros and the Dodgers that are just always in the middle of it. They're just always I mean, there. yeah, but the Astros the really aren't a team that spends, like, top five money. I mean, they, they were, I think, ninth or tenth in payroll this year. It's true. So Astros are impressive look, in that department. It is. I, I just, I, I think it would be I don't amazing. Like the, uh, I don't like the thing because why are we going to take away from an owner that's willing to spend and make it that an owner who's unwilling to spend? Because I'll tell you why. Because if they're they're probably unwilling to spend because they don't want to get into an arms race where eventually Cohen's just going to keep going up and up and up like Rockefeller over there, and it's just going to drive the price up further and further. Because sure, Cohen can spend this amount of money, whatever. Th- uh, what did he spend on uh, on Verlander? Forty forty million, million a year. year. Two years, eighty six million. Right. Yes. But suppose another owner starts shelling out that money. Forty five million a year. Cohen can jump up to fifty million, no problem. Sixty, seventy, eighty. Cohen will outlast these guys. I think a great example of the owners finally stepping up and spending money: the San Diego Padres. I mean, the Padres were a laughing stock for a majority of our lives. Yes. And in the past couple of years, the ownership there has said, "You know what? We're going to step up. We're going to start investing some money into this team." And look what's happening. They get star players, they, which, which directly leads to jersey sale revenue. Ticket sales go way up. Merchandise gets More merchandise gets sold outside of jersey sales. You earn more money for your franchise based on how much you put into it. You want to know why the seats are empty in Oakland? Because they don't invest any money into the franchise. There's nothing there. Why do the fans want to go to games to see, I'm sorry, scrubs? Like, I don't even know who's going to be in their starting lineup next year. It's, it's a joke. I'm sorry, it's a joke. Parody... Parity is a good thing, and that's thing is you know something you always want to try to try to achieve, and, and you know. But for me, look, most of these guys, billion dollar owners, man, step into the table and invest something. Invest something into the into the team, because a sports team is a really good investment if you are willing to put the money in it and make it a good investment in return. 
That's what Steve Cohen's doing with the Mets. He has the capability to spend a lot of money, but he also realizes that if he puts this crazy amount of money into it now, that things like jersey sale revenues, ticket sales, things like that, you know, buying, an Edwin, up, buying but, an Edwin Diaz foam trumpet is going to sell out all throughout a 35,000 plus seat stadium. But at a the certain point, will be there. at a certain point, though, if Cohen's investing, right, the reason it's working for Cohen is because he's the he's really the first one, the only one investing at that level, right? But if other teams start doing that and matching him, and he's got the ability to go up higher, eventually there's a point where people can't match him anymore. Fair. And I don't think we. I got to cut you off. We got to go to our hourly break. Point. We'll discuss this more on the flip side of. Is our number two of heavy hitters. We're back, Mitch and Jack. That rhymed, matter of fact. Uh, I'm a wordsmith. How about that? Mitchell Smedley on the mic. Jack, I'm to my right. We are discussing uh, some MLB. Uh, we'll get into NFL previews for week 15? 15, yes. Uh, start of your fantasy football playoffs. A lot going on in the sports world. I have a first round bye. Actually, in our KUR league, I'm playing uh, Abby Regs this week. It's going Woo! down. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Looking for a big night for McCaffrey tomorrow night. Uh, we'll get to it. But before we get there, I do want to send it over to Jack for something that transcends football or any sport. Uh, Jack, something much more important to talk about. Unfortunately, the college football world saw a passing that affected coaches, players, and fans alike around the country. The unfortunate and near-sudden death of Mississippi State head football coach Mike Leach, uh, I believe it was yesterday that it happened, and it was it was scarring. It was really, you know, this report broke out that he was in critical condition over the weekend, and, you know, I've seen a bunch of things, you know, present for Coach Leach, and unfortunately on Tuesday he tragically passed away at the age of 61. He was a guy who really innovated the game offensively. His air raid style of offense was so unique. Uh, his stops at Texas Tech, one of the most iconic moments, uh, you know, in the early 2000s was, you know, Graham Harrell finding Michael Crabtree for the touchdown with one second left to stun Number one, Texas and Colt McCoy. And, you know, that that was a moment that lives on in college football history forever, and that was a Mike Leach coach team. Mike Leach, the, the coaching tree that he's had, he's put out a lot of great coaches. Lincoln Riley at USC, Dave Aranda at Baylor. You know, the list goes on and on and on. Sonny Dykes at TCU, they're now in the college football playoff. So many great coaches have, you know, come and gone under the, you know, the coaching tree of Mike Leach and his impact on the game of college football and just the person he was. He was a guy who was just so fun you know, just watching some of his interviews and just watch him on the sideline. He's a guy who was just so unique. You know, a lot of these coaches, you know, both professional and the college levels, they're serious stand-up type guys. So, you know, you don't really see the loose side of them. But Mike Leach was a guy who was just so modest and a guy who just who liked to have a lot of fun whenever he get interviewed, talking about, you know, candy corn and, and things like that. He was, you know, giving marriage advice to one of the reporters he was talking to on SEC Network this past year. So, just such an infectious and fun guy to watch, and you know, one of the great coaches you know, of our game, and should certainly be a college football Hall of Famer for what he's done off the, uh, done on the field. So, unfortunately, yeah, he's passed away, and his loss will certainly be felt, you know, not only just around the Mississippi State program, but around the college football landscape uh, for for quite some time. So, that is very, very unfortunate uh, to report on. And he was a guy who was just so so fun uh, to to watch, and, you know, not just coaching teams, but you know, in his interviews as well. Yep, couldn't have said it any better myself. Uh, our condolences uh, with his family and everyone else affected uh, by his sudden passing. Um, Jack, we're going to move on now to hour number two. Uh, we're talking about MLB, right, still? Yep, we're going to wrap up our MLB discussion. We were in the midst of a heated debate before we got cut it off. I would call that heated. But it was a, uh, you know, I would say passionate. opposite. Yeah, passionate debate on opposite standpoints. 
of whether Steve Cohen's spending is good or not for the MLB, Mitch takes the Look, I think it's good that he's view. spending. Let me, let, let's not get it twisted. I think under the current rules, Steve Cohen is a smart owner, and he's willing to shell out the money. That's a good thing. I'm not, I'm not at all doubting that under the current rule. I'm saying I think the league should operate differently under a salary cap because I think it would stop these world-beater teams from being assembled uh, for just, you know, dynasties. You would see much more smart spending. You would see a more nuanced approach to, to general managing. Um, and I'm not saying that the Phillies wouldn't be affected by that. The Phillies, you know, big money on their on their payroll right now. I think so. it takes a lot of the money out of the baseball, out of baseball though. What do you think? How, how do you mean? It's just, you know, with the luxury tax system we have now, players are able to get paid more and earn the rewards for their on-field play, as they should. Um, but it, it, it just limits, I feel like, how much... I don't know. It's I'm trying to find the way to explain it concise, you know, to the point where it can't be, you know, misconstrued or it's it's direct. I don't want my my explanation here to be ambiguous. So I don't know. I feel like it just limits the amount. Obviously, you're able to do on the player salary side of things, but you know, you, look as a Mets fan, I've loved this new found sense of, of Cohen. I lived through the days of not being able to get star players in this team and and the days. Of watching players walk out the door or, or you know go in free agency and not being able to hear the Mets be in on big name guys like Justin Verlander, I've never experienced something like this in my life. I'm with you. I had to watch Michael Michael Franco be touted as a franchise guy. For it is a, a breath of fresh air yes, that I, I can say will never get tiresome. I lived through the Wilpon era for the majority of my life and it was horrific. So misrun, awful ownership, and if he finally owned by a owner who cares about the fan base and cares about the state of this team and wants to be a winner year in and year out. It is so refreshing and so fun. I can actually look forward to baseball season consistently year in and year out. Not that I didn't before, because I love the game and I love everything, well, not everything, but I love most things about it. But it's just, it's so awesome to know that I can watch players, future Hall of Famers, be on the New York Mets. It's something I have never experienced before. So for me, I guess that's just why I'm so passionate about this and this side of the argument. It's because I've never been on this side of the aisle before. And I can tell you what, it is so good. So, so good. I agree with you. It's refreshing. It's, you know, the Harper deal is what kick-started it. The we're, the, we're the bad boys of the MLB. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The, uh, the And the Phillies are joining you with the Turner, with the Harper, Castiano, Schwarber. Like, the Phillies are going out and paying guys, right? It's a it's a really great breath of fresh air getting uh, Wheeler a, a contract like that. Uh, hopefully, re-signing uh, Hoskins at the end of the year. Yeah, it's a it's a really great breath of fresh air that you can just bring in big big guys like that. Uh, but I I think what would be more fun is if every team had the capacity to do that, uh, and if it, it would make it even bigger an even bigger deal when the Phillies or Mets did something like that, it would make it a bigger deal. Right now, know. the Mets are expected to do that. They have the money to do that. That's easy. It's like the Dodgers. I guess, but the feeling of signing a star player just never gets old. I don't care if you're expected to do it or not. When you hear a big-name player come to your franchise, it's just a feeling that, like, I remember the night the Mets signed Max Scherzer. I was like, the Mets really just signed Max Scherzer. It, it's, a, it's an unreal feeling. I know. I remember being in... Uh... You're on cloud nine, and that feeling never goes away, no matter how much you're expected to sign those players. When you hear someone like of that nature come into your franchise, it is exhilarating. I remember being in physics when we signed Harper. Yeah, it, it's just a passion that you can never erase. It's a feeling that I would say no, is sorry, almost chemistry. unmatched. 
wrong science class, chemistry class when we signed Harper. Well before, well, before we wrap up around the discussion, I do have a quick message from the KU Notebook. Attention KU students. Did you know undergraduate research and creativity gives you many of the resources needed to publish and present your work at regional, national, or international levels? To learn more, please visit www.kutztown.edu slash UGRC. You can also stay up to date on conferences and publication opportunities by following UGRC on Instagram at UGRC underscore KU. This message of community is brought to you by the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR. Jack Hyman, Mitchell Smedley, we are back for the final edition of Heavy Hitters for this fall semester. Mitch, we had Patty and the Rats play us in as our normal intro. Mm-hmm. And for the final time, man, for hour number two, I should say, you know, it's 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 a bittersweet feeling. Bittersweet. Yes, sir. You, know, you get the break from school and you get to relax a little bit. But, man, I'm going to miss doing this show. I'm really going to miss for it. For the greater part of a month. So, but we'll have plenty more to talk about when we come back. Yes, we will. We're going to move on. We're going to have a Super Bowl. Well, not a Super Bowl, but we well, late eventually. Playoffs. Late playoffs. MLB will be getting closer. I mean, in just a couple shows, the uh, the Philly, uh, not the Phillies, the pitchers. <laughs> I can't believe I'm mixing these words up today. Pitchers and catchers will be reporting, like you mentioned earlier. Uh, college <gasps> bowl games and playoffs will have happened. We will have a national champion, maybe a new one. Um, it, it will really, maybe not. <laughs> it'll really be an exciting time. Uh, it what a time to be alive that will be. Yeah, and sports is the gift that keeps on giving. It really is. I yeah. mean, it's a due reference because we're in the holiday season. But man, sports is just something that provides that excitement. It's like a it's all year like round. Your favorite show always coming out with a new season. Exactly. Right. Precisely. It's like you get to sit there, like NFL. Just just the NFL, for example, eighteen weeks plus playoffs, so twenty two weeks. You get a new edition of that show. How crazy is that? And then, and then, when that show's over, you transition to baseball. And or, the next show. And, and yeah, and the next day, you know, there's hockey and basketball to fill the gaps. And then in the summer, it is all baseball every single day, which I love. You know, if there's one sport that gets a whole season to itself, right? It's got to be baseball because you're playing every single day almost. Yeah, 162 right? and like 184. I mean, you got like what 20 off days, you get the All Star break. Yeah, and a couple off days every month sprinkled in between. But man, it's it's ongoing. I mean, from March, it's a saga, dude. From March to early November, yeah, baseball is ongoing with games. Yeah. Even before that, but you know the hype of the uh, you know pre spring training pitchers and catchers reporting. You actually get to see the guys in your team's uniform. You'll get to see Trey Turner yeah. in February donning a Phillies jersey, and you'll be so excited. You'll I'll get see to see JV. Brandon Nimmo for one of the next eight years. I'll see Brandon. Oh, that is a full no trade clause. So you kept saying, "Well, what if he gets traded?" Really? Oh, it is. Yep. I didn't hear about that. We a met for life. Wow. Doesn't even have an option to get out of the contract. No opt outs. No tra- uh, no trade clause. My Nationals friend was. Uh, I told him about the Turner signing because he hasn't been following that close. He goes, oh, he won't be there for the full thirteen. Or eleven. I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, what do you mean? Will. It has a no trade clause. He's like, they they find ways around that. You know, <laughs> no, they don't. I'm like, That's... you can't find a way around a no trade clause. Is like, no trade clause implemented in the contract? Yeah. You're stuck with that team. He goes, they got lawyers. They got lawyers. <laughs> what do you? Mean? What are they going to sue the organization? You signed the contract. What is his argument? He's like, if if the team and the player want to get out of it, they can. This is one of the most boneheaded arguments I've ever heard. <laughs> Full no trade clause. Oh, he can get out of it. Yeah, no, he, he can't. Unless he gets bought out, which is never going to happen. Yeah, yeah. What are you going to get bought out two years in? That's oh, uh, <laughs> you know, only two hundred fifty million dollars. Yeah, we'll pay. We'll pay the rest of the nine years. Trade. Go have fun somewhere else. Like yeah. it's not going to happen. Yeah. You sign a full no. Like you could sign a partial no trade clause and then get out of there. But full no trade clause, man, you're stuck. You're stuck in the mud, man. If you don't like it there, it's, <laughs> you shouldn't have signed the longevity of that contract. Yeah. But 
Wow. Man. So, man. yeah, that, that was his take on it. You know, oh, Jeez, he'll, he'll, he'll get out of it. <laughs> Who's this guy, bro? What are you talking about? Bro, what are you on? He's a, he's the Ravens fan. That's the stop oh, sign guy. Oh, great. Yeah. So he's a Nationals fan, too? Yes. At least it makes sense, but still. Yeah. yeah. A typical Ravens fan doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, got him. Got him. We got to move on. A lot of NFL to talk about. We're going to start Thursday night. We are already 15 minutes in hour number two, so Ooh. time is already running a little bit thin, which means we're going to fly a little bit through these preview games. This is a big game, though. But Let's we're spend gonna spend a couple minutes yeah, on it. We're, we're going to spend more time in the important games and fly through some of the non-important games. See, this would be more acceptable if Al Michaels got excited over. Exactly. <laughs> and we're going to go to <laughs> That's Thursday. That's impossible. <laughs> That's impossible. The team won their fourth game of the year. That's impossible. You know what I just heard? Like, my friend showed me this last night. It was like the, you know, the Cody Parking clip and then I saw. And he oh. goes, and that one, he hits the crossbar, he hits the upright and the crossbar. That's impossible. Oh, he hits the upright again. Yeah. That's impossible. impossible. And he said the same thing for Unreal. a 13, week 13 touchdown. Yeah, and he said, Mayfield no, he Jefferson. just said that one like more like outrage. You know, like, that's impossible. But then Thursday night, right, last Thursday, that's impossible. <laughs> Mayfield looking to the end zone, Jefferson, that's impossible. Dude, all right, that's like saying, that's like saying, um, you know, like some little quiz I submitted, right? I got like a, a 90% on, right? A 90%. And then the Parky missed field goal is like my final, right? And I got like the, the 93 when I needed like a 92, right? You know, when you need those big grades to get up over the next letter grade, right? That That's the comparison. I'm in a finals week state of mind, right? Yeah. Yeah. We all have those moments. Oh my God, I did it! Right? That's like, if you, if you that's bring. That's impossible! That's impossible! <laughs> if you bring that same energy for quiz number one <laughs> on September, you know, 13th, like credit to you for being an academic weapon. Yeah. But uh, I do not. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I kind of lack off. The, I don't bring the same energy for the first quiz of the, of the semester as I do for the, for the, the final, final exam. exam. Yeah. So that's just not me, though. If you do that, I respect. Power to you. But yeah. that's just not me. That's and not the way I roll. Smedley gets a 93. That's impossible. Yeah. Quiz one is going to go down in history. <laughs> so, yeah, for real. Well, let's get to this Thursday night game. 49ers, Seahawks up in Seattle. 9-4. Niners seven and six. Seahawks. Seahawks trying to reel it in after a tough loss at home really to bad. the Carolina Panthers. As the Niners uh, went to town and absolutely destroyed Tom Brady and his homecoming to San Francisco. Two teams kind of trending in opposite directions, and the Niners favored by only three. Brock Purdy second week as a starter. Let's see how they look. Debo Samuel will not be there for this one. How do the Niners look? I think the Niners well, win. Well, is Purdy I okay? I heard he had an injury concern. He should be fine. Okay. I think. He'll be fine, right? Right? <laughs> yeah, no Devo, though. That's a big concern. Uh, it's going to be uh, McCaffrey and a lot of McCaffrey. and Oh, some Kittle and Ayuk and then more McCaffrey. <laughs> That's basically the game plan. Uh, and then hopefully nothing happens where it's too much of a workload. You got uh, Jared Mason, right? Is that his yeah. first name, Jared? It might be Jordan. Jor- Jordan Mason. Yeah, you're correct. Um, Jordan Mason will come in uh, as the backup running back there uh, to supplement the load in the backfield for the 49ers. But uh, I'm looking for the Niners to really take control of this game on the ground, really shorten the game. Uh, don't give time for the Seattle passing attack, uh, which is the main strength of this offense, with Geno Smith throwing it to Metcalf, Lockett, Goodwin. Um you know, that, that's really going to be the only chance that Seattle has, even though the 49ers have a lockdown defense right now. They are playing very well. Uh, Niners win this game, I think, by about 10. Um, you know, pretty comfortable win, late field goal to ice it. 
Uh, that's the kind of game I'm looking for. It's going to be a divisional game, so it's going to be close most of the game, I believe. But like I said, that late field goal should end it. Um, you know, look for Lockett to get in the end zone. Uh, I think McCaffrey will get in at least once. And uh, probably Kittle as well. It would be my uh, my touchdown presumptions. Well, that that's fair. Does Kenneth Walker play in this game? Not sure. Was out last week. Uh, it's big for Seattle if he could play. Yeah, that, that would be huge. So we'll see how that status goes. Look for me. I think Seattle wins. They win comfortably. I think I'll take them by double digits. And that's all going to be due for that. We're going to. You think up. Seattle wins by double? Digits. Not Seattle, San Fran. Oh my San goodness, Fran, San Fran, San Fran, San Fran. Clear the record. Niners win by double digits. Not <laughs> Seattle. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Need to clear the record there. You know Not the Seahawks. You know what's speaking fantastic. too fast there? I didn't even think. You know what's fantastic? What is if Seattle does crush them just by some off chance? We can just roll back that clip, and, and I'd be right. Yeah, you'd be right. <laughs> yeah. Clip Good that. Good job. I'm going to lay out every possible scenario. Niners win in a blowout. Niners win close. Seahawks win in a blowout. Seahawks win close. All right, Josh. <laughs> With that, we're going to take our first break of hour number two. When we come back further, getting into our NFL discussion here on the Week 15 slate. we got a couple, uh, three Saturday games to talk about and then moving on into our Sunday slate of games. Uh, we're going to fly through this a little bit quickly. We're going to spend some time on some big games. Uh, and for the lowly matchups, we're going to say, well, quick preview and then move on. So plenty more NFL talk coming your way next here on Heavy Hitters on the radio voice of Kutztown University. k Kutztown, don't go anywhere. And welcome back to Heavy Hitters, everybody, right here on the radio voice of Kutztown University. KOR cuts down. Jack High and Mitchell Smedley, we are back at it again. Back and better than ever. Absolutely. Getting right back into the nitty gritty of our boys are back discussion. And looking for trouble. The Dropkick Murphy's right there. Yo, you knew that. Oh, my goodness. One of my favorite bands. I'm trying to go see them up uh, this St. Patrick's Day. Nice. Yeah. Look at you, Mr. Smedley. Trying to. Woo. Mr. Smedley. Um, all right. We're going to go into our Saturday slate of games. First, at 1 o'clock, it's the Colts and the Vikings up in Minnesota. Not too much time to spend on this one. Well, I think the Vikings are fraudulent. The Colts are an absolute atrocity on the football field. And for that, it is also a 1 o'clock game, which means it's not prime time. And the Vikings will be able to win comfortably. It is a Saturday game. It's the only game going on at that time. That's true. That's somewhat prime time. prime time. I'm going to call it prime time. Really? Eh. It's like a 1 o'clock Thanksgiving game. It's yeah, a Saturday. Everyone's watching. I guess. Always feel like somebody's watching me. I'll be watching. What have been an episode at, uh, of Heavy Hitters that yeah, Mitchell said? I just realized we hadn't had that yet. Um, yeah, I'll be watching this at, at work. Look at you. I mean, uh, no, uh, Manager Megan, I will be uh, hardly, not hardly, hard working. Not hardly working. Hard uh, at work. Hard work, hard at work, or hardly working? Which one are you, Jack? At the pizza place. Um. Hard at work most times. Okay, good. Really? Because you call me. You call me all the time. Well, maybe not. No, it's because like I step twice. out. You know. Yeah, because you, you're on quick. your break. You know. Oh no, there's no break. There's I just no break. Step out and say, you know what? Yeah, someone's gonna run the counter. It is. What it is <laughs> right? Wow. Someone will pick it up for the next ten minutes. I gotta make a phone call. Ten minutes. It's just like fifteen seconds usually. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I'm covering for you, buddy. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I've, I've called Jack at my work too. Trust me, no one at the pizza place listens to the show, so I don't have to worry. Really? Yeah. Really? That's good to know. It is good to know. That's really, okay. I really could just go all in. So on Jack has, like, skipped entire shifts just to come talk to me about sport. No, yes. No, I've walked out in the middle of my shifts. Yeah. See you later. He's like, I'm, oh, we'll do it live. <laughs> just walking oh out goodness. of there. Yep. Yeah. No, I remember the Bryson Stott home run I called you, I think, and uh, the walk-off against the engine. I think I called you. 
and you, I believe, were at work. Yeah. You were like, buddy, I'm at work, but that's good for you. <laughs> yeah, I think I did say something like that. <laughs> you did. But the funny thing was I was at work that same game when Harper hit the Grand Slam, and the whole place erupted. You know, we were high-fiving in the back hallway. Yeah. It was a fun time. A what fun a time, time to be alive. Yeah. Ooh, excuse me. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, yeah. Cousins and the Vikings win big over the Colts. Moving on. All right. Ravens-Browns, 4.30, also on Saturday. Cleveland favored by three. Deshaun Watson. Magical. Magical. Okay. <laughs> I like the Gus Johnson. <laughs> um, magical. Magical. See, that's another one. That was week one, Penn State-Purdue. There was no need for that. Yeah. Okay. Clifford, yes. I realize it was crazy that Sean Clifford actually led a comeback drive in the fourth quarter. Oh, but, I, yeah, we don't need Touchdown, Penn State. Magical. It was like, what, it was like 48 seconds left? Yes. Oh, touchdown, Penn State. Yeah, he like had a magical. It was like a continuous voice. Yeah. Touchdown, Penn State. Magical. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Back to the NFL discussion. Ravens, Browns, AFC North rivalry. Lamar, Lamar List Ravens will roll into Cleveland. And uh, we'll see how they fare. Tyler Huntley might be active with this one, might not. Uh, was left last week's team with a concussion. If he's not available, it'll be Thurston quarterback Anthony Brown to lead the way against the Browns. So Ooh. Brown versus the Browns. We'll see how that matchup fares. Not to be if, confused if, if with it Antonio Brown. Yes. Very different player. Yeah. Anthony Brown is a quarterback who went to, I believe. TCU. No. No. Oregon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Ducks. The Ducks. The Ducks. All right. Anyway. My doc walked up to a lemonade stand and he said to the man, right Run in the stand. Hey, bump, bump, bump. You're going to lose. All right. Well, that's exactly how that video goes. You're going to uh, lose to the uh, to the Browns there. I think the Browns win this game. I think they win too. I think they pull off the, uh, the think, stunner. I think I Watson stunner, gets a couple but... tutties. Yeah, I think he does. And I think Amari Cooper will find the end zone a couple of times along with David and Joku. Good on I got the Browns 21 to 13. Good old Love Cooper out there. Can't believe no one no one else has said that before. Ah. You ever think about that? You know how they call Love Amare? Yeah. Yeah. Amare Cooper. Love yeah. Cooper. I guess. Uh, you know what? Just for the sake of it. Love Cooper gets in the end zone this week. Yeah. Twice. Ooh, I said the same thing. Yeah. Oh, wait, you did? Yeah. I wasn't even listening. I said Cooper twice and Njoku once. Oh, okay. I same way like twice. Watson running it in and Chubb. All right. Browns win it. We're going to move on to the next one. We're going to spend some more time on this one. Bills, Dolphins, primetime AFC matchup. Big Saturday, game. 8-15 on NFL Network. Bills, 7.5-point favorites at Highmark Stadium. 10-3, 8-5. Dolphins get this win. They're 9-5. They're right back in the AFC race for the title with two wins this year over the Bills. And it would improve the division record to 3-1, and one, the Bills to 2-3, and three, and they'd only be one game back of Buffalo with the tiebreaker. Huge implications of this one. Bills on this one, they most likely end up winning the division. So, huge game on both sides. Tua playing in the cold. Can he do it? I'm not sure he can. I think Josh Allen in this office will be a little bit too much to handle. I got the Bills winning. They're going to win it 31-21. to Okay, so the Bills were stifled a little bit last week by the Jets, right? Only put up 20. It was a you know, closer win, one-score game, eight points. Uh, Dolphins also struggled, though, against the Chargers. Uh, so both teams coming off somewhat down weeks, but the Bills, their down week was much better than the Dolphins' down week. I think their ceiling is also much higher. I also have the Bills putting up 30-plus, giving up, yeah, somewhere around that 20-21 range. Uh, Bills win quite comfortably. On primetime, Josh Allen will be on full display. 
All righty. Well, we'll move on to the Sunday slate then. Steelers, Panthers will start it off 1 o'clock CBS, Ugh. Carolina 2.5 point favorites. Not too much time to spend on this one. Steelers on pretty much the outside looking in, really not a big shot. Kenny Pickett left last week's game with a concussion. We'll see if he plays. Mitch Trubisky looked as dumpster fire as ever with three interceptions. Um, Carolina's Panthers, in a playoff push. Panthers in a playoff push, however. Uh, they're rolling after their big win up in Seattle in the Pacific Northwest rolling, last week in the 4 rolling, o'clock time rolling. slate. Win here could put them at 6-8 and eight and right on pace with the Bucks if they lose. Unbelievable. How about that? You know what the great thing is? You know what the great thing is about we that? We live in a world where the sub-500 Panthers, led by Sam Darnold, can make the playoffs. But the amazing thing about it is it takes another team out of contention for being ahead of the Eagles draft pick. That's why I love it. Because the Eagles will have the Saints pick, and the Panthers are doing better than the Saints. So... Uh, Panthers, I think, get another win here uh, by a touchdown, I think. Um, two not great teams, but I think the Panthers are a little bit better. Their running game has been more proven uh, with, who is it, Foreman and Hubbard and Blankshear, yep. right? Those That trio there. Yes, sir. Sam Darnold, uh, ooh, he's not good, but uh, Mitch Trubisky is, oh, God, not even close to as good. Um, it's going to be uh, one of those ugly, ugly, ugly games. Please for the sake of you and all that you love, do not watch this game. Um, you will regret it. But yeah, the Find better things to do with your Sunday afternoon. The Panthers smell blood in the water after watching Tom Brady absolutely get torched by San Francisco. They're in the playoff race for this division. Give me the Panthers to stay in it. If they run the table, they're in. They control their own destiny. I think they still control their own destiny after this week. I feel like the Panthers kind of fall flat in their face here. Right but here? I don't know. I don't know. It feels like one of those letdown moments. Oh, you know? ab- it absolutely does. But I'm a Panthers fan, so I gotta, I gotta ride the little bit of hype. And the here, Steelers right? find a way to get these weird wins that they just shouldn't get. Hundred percent. And I think it's not like a reason, crazy weird I, win. They're only, they're only unfavored by two and a half. No, no, no. It's not like there's some big underdogs. It's like, wow, the Steelers really got that win. But like the way the Steelers play and have played this year, they're not a good football team. Yep. Steelers passing game has the edge, though. I mean, yeah. Minus the guy throwing it. So I mean, that's a big part of the passing game. With the guy throwing it. So yeah. So, I don't know. How do you see it going? Panthers. I'll take the Panthers because I just think they can control the game on the ground more. Yeah. Give Panthers a slight edge. It'll be like a one-point game. You think DJ Moore will show his face? 21-20. Panthers win. Wow. Oh, man. Wow. That's crazy. Last second field goal by Mr. Pinheiro. Okay. I like it. I like it. Panthers keep moving toward a potential postseason berth. Moving on, who else we got? All right. We're going to move on. Go to the NFC East for a couple matchups. Giants commanders in our nation's capital. Oh, that's Sunday night. Really, I shouldn't do that because I just did listen. Say, wow! I'm, I'm looking at my favorite teams here, and I have this. You know, the no Eagles, Bears, but yeah, Eagles, Bears. Why not? One o'clock. Keep it going in Chicago. Eagles nine point favorites. Not going to spend a whole lot of time on this one because it's not really a great matchup. No, it's not. Uh, Bears are lackluster. Eagles are infi- uh, infinitely better than they are. And it's going to be a trapping. It's going to be a trapping at Soldier Field. Poor Bears are going to get stomped into the turf. Eagles win it by double digits, maybe even by twenty. It's that bad. I I think it's. Uh Really close to not really close. Uh, really close to what you just said. Really good, uh, good point. It's really not close, is what I was actually trying to say. Uh, like you said, seventeen to twenty point victory for the birds. But the uh, one interesting piece of this I'm uh, I'm looking at for the Eagles side of it. Uh, you know, the last three weeks they've gotten convincing wins over the Giants, over the Titans, the Packers. They put up forty. Didn't play great defense, but enough. Uh, but those quarter and and then Matt Ryan. They gave up only sixteen with the uh, the Colts game. Uh, but you look at those quarterbacks, Ryan, Rodgers, Tannehill, and Jones. You know, Daniel Jones is really the only one with a little bit of mobility. Justin Fields, completely different animal, using his legs a lot this season. I'm interested to see if the defense for the Eagles 
uh, can play well against a quarterback like that because you're going to have to play those guys in the playoffs. I'm thinking of guys like, you know, if you get to the Super Bowl, there's guys from the AFC like Mahomes and Allen uh, and even Herbert. If he gets in, you know, Herbert's got a chance, right? So, um, and then the NFC, you know, it, it doesn't really have the same effect now because Kirk Cousins, Brock Purdy, uh, Tom Brady, Dak Prescott, you know, you're not really facing a lot of mobility. But come uh, that AFC matchup potentially in a Super Bowl, right? the game is moving, and for years to come, the game is moving toward these mobile quarterbacks. I'm interested to see how the Eagles' defense lines up right now against one of those in Justin Fields. Uh, So for the sake of me having something to do during this game, I'll be watching for that just because I think it will be one of those boring games where the Eagles just trounce them uh, and keep going, keep looking elite. Uh, Two blowout wins recently. Jack's complaint early on was that the Eagles weren't beating teams by enough. Uh, They weren't having convincing wins. I think this will be a third straight, very convincing win. A lot of momentum heading into that Christmas Eve matchup with Dallas. All right. I agree with you. Eagles win at 35-13. That's my prediction. 35, that's a really good prediction. I'm gonna I'm gonna join you on that one. Uh almost. I'm gonna go 34-13 just because I think some of the drives will be field goals. All righty. We're gonna move on. Falcons, Saints, NFC South showdown. Uh two teams that are showdown. really on the outside looking in. More like tank bowl. Yeah, really. Falcons and a Mario to figure out the season. So Desmond Ritter will be continuing to get a look at the quarterback spot. Saints are uh they're, they're just bad. Very flat bad, out bad. Which is great. But they have the better quarterback, and that's why I'm going with the Saints. They're four-point favorites. Give me the Saints to win this one. Andy Dalton and company will get their fifth win of the year. They will go to 5-9. and nine. Falcons drop to 5-9. and nine. Not much else to say on that. Um, I'm going to go with the... What's the line on this? Saints by four is what Saints, I have. I'm going to go with the upset. I think the Falcons upset get it done. Uh, I, if you can call it that. Um, I think the Falcons have a little bit of a better offensive weapon set, right? Um, is... Uh, is Pitts out for the season? I believe so. Yeah. So uh, even still, uh, I think they uh, they have a little bit of a better uh, weapon set on offense and defense alike. Sure, they lack in the quarterback. Uh, we've seen these fluke wins with these backup quarterbacks. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because this game really doesn't matter. Nope, not at all. Uh, and we see weird things with divisional games, especially these lower tier ones. Uh, game of the Falcons, just for funsies. <laughs> All right. Also, to make Chris, you know, feel a little bit better because he claims I'm a homer with my, you know, homer picks, and I just hate on the Falcons all the time. I don't. I'm not hating on the Falcons. I'm just looking at the quarterback battle here, and you need a, you need a quarterback to win football games. And I don't know if Desmond is that guy. There he is, the Red Rifle. He's got that uh, that beard tucked into that chin strap. <laughs> He's ready to go. Starting his tenth consecutive game for the Saints. This will be number eleven here. So or twelve is this twelve? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, twelve. All right, Lions Jets in the in. I would say I was going to say the Meadowlands, but who expected this game to matter? Seven and six Jets, six and seven Lions, two teams, Jets scuffling, Lions trending up. They're five and one in their last six. Jared Goff and company go to the elements out in the cold in New York, and for that reason alone, I think the Jets will be able to win this game. Oh man, I don't. I really think the Lions are going to keep rolling. I mean, could the Lions and the Panthers make the playoffs this year? Micah the White, he's him. I don't think so. This is where the magic, uh, well, it ran out last oh, week. Oh, it's been running lost, out. But, but uh, yeah, this is where it really goes bad. I think he throws m- multiple interceptions this week, probably three. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, and I'm not particularly imp- impressed with the Lions' defense. It's not a good defense. Um, but I think uh, the Sun God there has a, has a big day. Uh, Swift and Williams on the ground. Yeah, I think the Lions get it done. Uh, I think they get it done by a touchdown, 27-20. All right. Well, with that being said, I will 
be taking the Jets and moving on. I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it's he just has a, close a feeling. Game. I got a gut feeling about the Jets got a hunch. This game. How close do you think the game? One possession. One probably possession. field goal. Okay. All right. I can vibe with that. I think it is a one possession it's game. It's a really two, close game. Two teams fighting for their playoff hopes. I think it's going to be a good game. Oh, 100%. I hope it will be a good game. Who knew? Lions-Jets is a really important game. All right. Cowboys-Jaguars in Jacksonville, 10-3. Cowboys, 5-8. and eight Jags. And, you know, these are two teams, 10-3. I mean, I mentioned Cowboys, probably third best team in the NFC behind the Niners and the Eagles. Yep. And the Jags are Could be the second best, together you know? in year one uh, under Dougie P. But the Jags coming off a big division win against the Titans on the road. They're back home against another formidable opponent in Dallas, how do they respond? How do they keep it going? Mitch, what are your takes on this one? Uh, what's the line on it? Dallas minus four. Yeah, I thought so. Um, look, I look. Dallas struggled against the Texans. They're going to be looking to answer those questions. You know, how do you almost lose that game to the to the Texans? Uh, the Jags coming off a really impressive win over the Titans uh, really put a hurting on them. And I think Doug Peterson has a lot of experience with the Cowboys. I think he he can come up with a scheme against these guys. I'm going upset of the week. Jags over the Cowboys. I'm gonna join you here. Really? Yep. I did not. Okay, I did not expect that. I like. I picked the Jags last week as my upset of the week. They stunned the Titans. I think they come back home. Trevor Lawrence really does a good job to keep this ship going. Very good. Yeah. They are six and eight. They're gonna get a win over Dallas, dropping a ten and four. You know, Dallas always loses a game late in the year to an unexpected team, and I think it's gonna be the Jags. They're gonna fall into this trap. They didn't fall into the AFC South trap last week, uh, but they do it this time here on the road against Jacksonville. Yeah, that would really make the uh, Christmas Eve game. Almost not matter for the Eagles, you know what I mean? That would be yeah, especially uh, if they win this week, which they should. Right, exactly. Uh, if the Eagles, they'll effectively have a three-game lead over the Vikings. They'll have a three-game lead over the Cowboys. They'll be the one into seed. that game. Yeah, they're pretty much the one seed. Especially if the Vikings find a way to lose to the Colts somehow. Oh yeah, that, that well that won't happen though. But uh, it won't. I mean, it, there'll be Anything's two games possible. left. Two games left after that Dallas game. Let's say even if Dallas wins it, Eagles are still two up on the Vikings. Yeah, we didn't think Carolina would beat Seattle last week, but hey, we didn't. We didn't at all. So uh, surprising things can happen. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, Jags upset of the week over them Cowboys. All right, Chiefs tight. Uh, Chiefs Texans. Not too much time in this one. No. Chiefs are going to roll divisional round matchup uh, rematch. Yeah, from years and years ago. Remember that twenty four Watson. It was twenty four nothing Houston, and they blew it. I actually just watched the highlights from that game on. It came up on my TikTok the other day. Bill O'Brien days. Uh, yep. Kicking the field goal on fourth and one. Yep. Gross. Oh, my goodness. Chiefs win. It's a blowout. Not even close. Not Four even, o'clock not slate. Cardinals-Broncos. This game doesn't matter. Both teams are probably... Uh, Broncos are officially out of the playoffs. Cardinals are on their way there. And especially with Kyler Murray out for the year with the torn ACL. Rest up. He'll be playing a lot of Call of Duty. Hopefully he get better soon. And uh, Colt McCoy will be starting this one. Doesn't much matter. Uh, Denver will find a way to win. Russell Wilson's out, right? Uh, potentially. His status is unknown. But Yeah. Yeah, Broncos will win. Yeah, Broncos yeah. will win. Uh, it's not a game that matters. I'm not going to dive into why, but Judy's good. So, Broncos win. All right, Patriots and the Raiders. Sunday, 4.05, out in Vegas. 7-6 Pats. They're still trying to hold on to their playoff hopes. The Raiders are 5-8. and eight. They are pretty much pretty much out of it, I'd say. On the cusp, point. yeah. They're on the cusp. They're not really officially out of it. But, you know, they're the, I believe. You imagine if they're 6-7 and seven coming in this matchup? They're 11. They're the 11th seed in the NFC. Yeah. Uh, AFC. Doesn't much, uh, AFC, thank you. I don't know why I said NFC. But uh, Pats okay. are the 7th seed right now. So, you know, they're they're in it. Barely hanging on. They got the uh, you know the Jag, not the Jags, the uh, the Chargers and the Jets. Excuse me, right on their coattails here, and we'll get to the Chargers in a little bit. But it's a huge matchup, and I think that the Patriots will find a way to win this game. Really, um, I agree with you. I think Jacobs is limited uh, because of that finger. Do we know his status yet? 
I don't know. I think he's. Uh, I think he's planning on playing. Uh, it'll be really interesting though to see what his workload is. Hopefully, they keep him healthy. Healthy uh, for my fantasy football playoffs. So I'm I'm on a buy this week. So it doesn't much matter for me this week. Um, yeah, I just think that uh, that deflating loss on Thursday night football is going to carry over. Uh, Patriots. I don't know. Yeah, McDaniel's against his former team. You know what? I, I here's the problem though. I just. I'm not convinced by New England, and, and Stevenson's down now. That was the piece of their offense. I, look, I'm you know not what? either. I'm changing my. I'm changing my. I think the Raiders get it done. I think Adams actually has a big game this time. They start using him more. Um, I mean, holy smoke! Oh, but oh, speaking of Foster Moreau, that's who I wanted to yell at you about. Um, remember when we had a phone call and we couldn't figure out who Fabian Moreau played for? Yeah, Giants. Yeah. Don't say yeah. You didn't know that. No, I did know that. I just blanked. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, Jack and I spent forever on a, maybe not forever, like two minutes or three minutes on a phone call. Like, wait, it's not Fabian Moreau on the, on the Raiders. Who, who? We know there's a Fabian Moreau in the in the league. Who does yeah. he play for? It's totally blank there. Yeah, totally blanked on a, what is he, a linebacker? Corner. Corner? Okay. So. Yeah. All right, we got to go to break, though. Uh, we'll get our final thoughts on Patriots Raiders coming up after our final break of the semester. Don't wow. go anywhere. We'll wrap up our NFL talk and... Uh, Go into some other topics, CFB, uh, plenty of other stuff coming right next here on the flip side of our final break here on Heavy Hitters. And welcome back into Heavy Hitters, hour number two. Chaos in the studio as the president is leaving the Capitol. <laughs> yes. Yes, he is. Um, the Mitch, great we're president back. James Ziprot has just... Has just departed our presence. Yeah, just made his departure, and uh, it's really, you know, sad. It's bittersweet, you know. It is bittersweet. He's moving on to bigger and better things for the for the next month. <laughs> yeah, until we're back here in January. So, yep. All right. Well, we got to keep going on. I picked the Patriots. You picked the Raiders. We got to move on. Four twenty-five prime time. The Chargers and the Titans. Two teams, seven and six. Woo! Chargers get a huge win on Sunday night against Miami. They're back at it in the prime time slot again at the four twenty-five. And uh, the Titans get a huge loss can against the, Titans, the Jags. Can the Titans bounce back? They're seven and six. Going in the wrong direction, but they play in a bad division, so it doesn't really matter. They're in, on, on trajectory to win in any way and get back in the playoffs. How many games do they have? Uh, I think two over two. Jacksonville. Hmm. Coming so. down to the wire, because I think the Chargers are going to make it a one-game lead. All right, I agree. I think the Chargers win. They go to eight and six. They try think? to keep pace with the Patriots. Yeah. Look, I think the Chargers will be able to do enough to keep Henry Kajan on the ground. I'm not scared of the Titans through the air. Tannehill's a good quarterback. They don't really have a lot of good weapons there. I think Keenan Allen and Mike Williams will find ways to have impressive games yet again. Eckler will find the end zone. The Chargers will get a convincing win. I would say 31-17. to They're going to win it, and they're going to go to 8-6. and Yeah, I'm not really convinced by either defense at all. I think Henry does have a big day. I just think Williams, Allen, Eckler have a bigger one. I think uh, Justin Herbert's the better quarterback. I think that's going to show... Uh, and the Titans will struggle with uh, with offensive weapons in the passing game, but you good there? Yeah. <laughs> what were you doing? Uh, <laughs> I was like, the chair was making a weird sound. So, I was like, so you slapped it? it? Yeah, I was like, come on, man. Hey, come on. Now, here's a guy <laughs> that he noticed there was a problem, and he sorted that out you know, in a one-on-one conversation with the chair. Impressive like, hey. stuff on the <laughs> sideline by Jack Heim. But I, I, I think uh, neither of these defenses is particularly that good. Uh, so I think you're in for a lot of points in this. I think it's a you know like a 30-27 game, it can, if you can believe the Titans putting up 27. But 24, maybe I'll go 24. That's a little more stomachable. Uh, give me 30-24 Chargers over the Titans in a uh, in a fun game. A lot of offense, I think, even though the uh, the Titans 
it may seem like they don't have much of a passing game, but I think Burks is back right, and uh, and they'll they'll find they'll figure it out with their their tight ends. Robert Woods is there, uh, so give me the Titans to lose, but sc- but put up points like they haven't in the last couple of weeks. All right. Well, with that being said, we will move on. And to our final four o'clock game, it's Bengals Buccaneers four twenty five oh, in boy. Tampa Bay. Oh, they got to stop putting Tampa on the big stage. Let's stop it here. Bengals are going to route them. I don't know how they're only three and a half point favorites. Burrow and company, they oh, will take go down that line to Tampa Bay day. and destroy oh, the Buccaneers. It will not even be close. Did we not just see what happened with the Niners? And and I think the Bengals are a better team than the Forty ers I mean, this is going to be ugly. This is not going to be fun for Tampa Bay fans. Holy smokes! Can anyone say six and eight? Joe Burrow is about to, oh my goodness. He's about to go off. He's about to throw all over the yard. They're going to run it on him. Uh, the the Bucks cannot put up points. And, and look, Cincy defense, it's not the greatest defense. Uh, but even still, I mean, the lack of cohesion on this Tampa Bay offense. Look, if it, if it were to get clicking all at once, sure, they're in this game with Godwin and Evans and uh, Julio and, and Fournette, who's vanishing a little bit more and more every week, and White. But it's not clicking all at once, and it will not click all at once over the next week. Um, give me the Bengals by, I mean, I'll keep it conservative because of the line being so small. Give me 13 uh, Bengals win. Bengals win it, I'm going to say 28 to 28-17. I have 30-17, so I'm right there with you. 28-17, Bengals win it, and they go to 10-4. and four. All right, we're going to move on to our Sunday night game, Giants-Commanders. Both teams 7-5-1. and one. These two teams tied a couple weeks ago down in Washington, and I'm going to take the Commanders because the Giants, it's not looking good. Uh, it's not looking good at all. And I'm going to break down why. Yeah, please. Heineke will find McLaurin. Heineke will do just enough to get this team the win. It'll be a tight game. I got Washington 23-20. The Giants continue to kind of spiral out of control here down the stretch. And their playoff hopes week by week continue to dwindle. It was a great start to the season for Dable and company, but you're starting to see the lack of depth on this roster and the lack of star players and the lack of playmakers on both sides of the ball really play a factor here. Commanders win. <sighs> I don't know, man. This is an this, I think this is an NFC East game at its finest. Uh, in prime time, the Commanders got the big upset against the Eagles. I think the Giants are going to win this football game. Uh, I think Daniel Jones has an impressive week. Saquon uh, will be running rampant. Uh, I get that the the commanders are supposed to be good at stopping the run. Um, I understand, but man, I don't know. I just Isaiah Hodgins will just have one of those weird, awful receiver good games. You know what I mean? Yeah, like the like the Fulgham era for the. I was Eagles. just gonna say that. Yeah, it's exactly like that. I I see this going like that. Um, I really am not impressed with the with the Washington offense. I think the defense leaves some to be desired as well. Um, you know, these two teams tied the other week, and, and Graham Gano missed a uh, potential game-winning field goal. So the Giants have shown they can they can play with this team. They can be in position to win. I think they get the job done uh, on a big stage, Sunday Night Football on NBC this week. That's just my feeling, man. All righty. Well, we have varying opinions, but it's, you know, look, I'd love for the Giants to win, but I just, look, I, don't, I think there's a pessimistic kind of feel around this organization. Well, you feel right pretty... Now. Pretty pessimistic when you get, you know, forty-eight points put up on you. Yeah, the week absolutely. Before. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Well, the quick message from the KU Renault notebook attention KU community: the Rohrbach Library, Commission on Human Diversity, and the Centers for Diversity and Inclusion will be hosting the Human Library on Tuesday, March twenty-eighth, from ten a.m. to four p.m. 
The Human Library is a place where real people are on loan to readers. Join the conversation about topics that are sometimes difficult, controversial, and stigmatizing. You can go online to library.kutztown.edu slash human library and fill out an application to be in Kutztown University's Human Library. Join the movement and become a human book. This message of community interest is brought to you by the radio voice of Kutztown University. Okay, you are welcome back to Aviators about final part of today's show and the final part of the semester of shows for Heavy Eaters. Mitch, once again, it's been a great semester working with you. Been a fantastic we'll be glad to be back with you next semester. But for now, wrapping up today's show, we got to go to Monday Night Football, Rams-Packers. This game really doesn't much matter, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. 4-9 Rams led by Baker Mayfield, Aaron Rodgers and company up in Green Bay, 5-8. and eight. Uh, Mitch, what are your takes on this one? Oh, man. I, I think the Packers win in an ugly game. Packers win, and it's not really close. Give it to Packers. That's really? my quick thoughts. I think it's pretty close. I'm not that impressed with the Packers. I'm not. It's just my lack of impressment with the Rams. Oh, I agree. I agree. Um, you know, they got about three minutes of competent quarterback play, so <laughs> really not a good thing for this uh, for this football team. But it was a good three minutes, right? It was. Had a good run. Probably the highlight of their season. Yeah, give me like 20 to 10 Packers. 23. Late late touchdown, though. It's like 13-10 in the fourth quarter. Okay. Give me the give me the Packers. 23-7. to seven. Oh, Wow, okay. Rams just cannot find anything on offense. That's anything what that sounds like. Who do you think scores the lone touchdown? Probably, probably Cam Akers. Cam Akers? Not a Baker run? On a little dump down. Okay. So. Interesting. All right, Packers win. We're going to move on here really quick. Uh, we're going to highlight some prominent bowl games that will be coming your way soon. And on this Saturday, we got Cincinnati and Louisville. Fun to watch because Jeff Brown will be the new coach of the Cardinals. But former Louisville head coach going to Cincinnati, Scott Satterfield, will be coaching against the uh, the team he was coaching for for a long time in Louisville for now Cincinnati. So that's going to be uh, an intense one to watch. The uniform battle between Florida and Oregon State. That should be an interesting game to watch. Uh, we're going to keep moving on here down the slate to more some more notable ones as the weeks and days go on. Uh, and that is, if I could find it here, late on into December, Oregon, North Carolina on the Holiday Bowl. It's going to be Wednesday, December 28th. Should be going to watch UCF Duke. That could be an interesting game. A lot of offense in that one. Same with Kansas-Arkansas. Uh, we will see the possibilities there. Thursday 29th, my Knowles take on Oklahoma in the Cheez-It Bowl. That should be a fun one to watch for me because I don't think it's going to be particularly close. Florida State's going to win by, I think, a good amount of margin. Texas and Washington in the Alamo Bowl. That's also on Thursday the 29th. And then we have the big ones coming up. Uh, we got Notre Dame and South Carolina, two top 25 teams in the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. Should be an interesting one. Mitch, Tennessee and Clemson in yeah. the Orange Bowl. That's yeah. also on December 30th. Very Orange Bowl. And then on New Year's Eve, the big ones, the Sugar Bowl, Alabama, Kansas State, and then the two playoff games, TCU-Michigan at 4 o'clock and Ohio State-Georgia at 8 o'clock. So those will be coming your way in a matter of weeks uh, as that time rolls around. Then on New Year's uh Which teams Monday were at after, uh, 8 o'clock, did you say? Ohio State-Georgia. Okay, Ohio State-Georgia. Gotcha. And then, and then on Monday, the second, four more good bowl games. you got Tulane and USC in the Goodyear Cotton Bowl, LSU-Purdue in the Citrus Bowl, and Penn State, Utah in the Rose Bowl. That's 5 o'clock on Monday, the 2nd. Penn yes, State fans, is. your eyes will be glued to the television for that one. If you're not out in Pasadena, California, watching it in person, I know some people who are personally traveling there to see the I've game. heard some, too, yeah. So, so very exciting. Can't wait for that. Uh, that'll be good, a good Monday evening, uh, good way to spend a Monday evening watching some Penn State football. Penn State! I wonder if my brother will be, uh, well, he'll, he'll definitely be watching. It's a matter of... Uh, if he's still home or if he uh, is still back in Orlando, uh, he was. If they made the um, which bowl was going to be down in Orlando in that area? Oh, I think the Camping World Stadium Bowl used to be down in Orlando. Okay, there was one. Maybe is the Sugar Bowl down there? Where's the Sugar Bowl? Um, ooh, I the Sugar think Bowl's it, in 
AT&T Stadium, but I could be wrong. Okay. Uh, there was one that, like, Penn State was potentially going to make uh, that they were just – it was, like, right up the road from him. They were looking to go. My brother is a Penn State alum, by the way. So uh, – Aha. Yeah, he uh, he was thinking about going to that. But then they made the Rose Bowl. So, you know, it is what it is. But uh, Penn State's going to be Utah. So that's going to be fun. Yeah, it should be a good game. Yeah, should really good be, game. Should, should be evenly be matched, game. I think. Absolutely. Quick update in the World Cup. Argentina beat Croatia to make the final. France is up 2-0 in the waning minutes against the Cinderella running Morocco. Good. So uh, Good. France eliminates Morocco. I think it's about to be a final. 2-0. So France, the 2018 World Cup champs, are going to go back to repeat. to repeat. And they will play Lionel Messi, Lionel Messi and Argentina, who are looking. Messi's looking for his first World Cup. Got it back on the final stage in 2014. Lost to a fellow European nation of uh, France and Germany. So France looking to give Messi the same repeat result. Remember when Germany was all the buzz in soccer? Yeah. We were up on the Wildwood Boardwalk. I played like one of those soccer games where you got to kick it into the holes, right? Won it. Got like a little like Germany jersey up there. I, I thought it was awesome. I called it. Uh, I, I would go around. I was just I was young at the time. I was just going around saying, Deutschland. <laughs> this, was, this was a little before that. But like, you know, I put the jersey on and it brought back those memories. I was like, I remember being in an elevator. This is a really dumb memory for me to talk about on, on air. But uh, I just. just I, Walk up to my sister, I go, Carissa, and I point at the, the Germany patch on it. I go, Deutschland. <laughs> <laughs> Deutschland. Yes. I have issues, Jack. I have issues. Oh, man. But, yeah, so exciting stuff in the World Cup. USA, you know, it sucks, but whatever. We'll be back. Hopefully. We'll be back. Um, and Morocco, you know, you're done. Goodbye. Uh, good run. France, I don't know who I'm rooting for in the in the finals. What I don't want to see France winning again. I'll probably root for Argentina. Yeah, I, I, let's get some. Let's get a different champ going. Yeah, give me Argentina. Lionel Messi. All right, real quick to wrap it up, I want to get into some college basketball. Not a whole lot in depth, but just take a look at these rankings and how crazy it is. I mean, Purdue's number one, Virginia two, UConn three, Alabama four. First time in Nick Saban's tenure as Alabama football head coach that the basketball team is rated higher than the football team. <laughs> yeah, it's it's outrageous, but uh, that's the way it goes sometimes. Who else? Uh, it is. Who do you root for in college basketball? I'm a Florida State guy. Still? Okay. Yeah, we're three and nine. Not good. Yeah, not good. But you know, I'm just trying to turn it around in general. Yeah, I guess. How often do you guys make the tournament? We used to make it consistently until about last year. We started really taking down term. We missed it last year. We're probably gonna miss it again this year. So bummer. Yeah, not great. That's a bummer. Texas head coach Chris Beard actually got arrested for a domestic violence charge. Was suspended wow. indefinitely by the program without pay. Uh, they're number seven in the country. They're seven and one. So let's see how that affects them. Um, that's a pretty big headline. SEC representing the top 10 quite well with Alabama and Tennessee, along with Arkansas wrapping it up at number 10. So the SEC prominent in football, also prominent as well, excuse me, in basketball. So Yeah, good stuff. Um, you know me, I don't really follow until March Madness. Yes, sir. So, uh, I will be, uh, we'll have, that's enough, I, for, I completely forgot that we, we will be talking March Madness in the spring semester. Yes, sir. How about that? Right? Oh, as, as if it couldn't get any better. NFL playoffs. MLB opening day coming around, and, and March Madness smack dab in the middle. Smack dab in the middle of it. Uh, it's going to be exciting. You don't want to miss it. It's Villanova probably won't be there. Five really? And f- five and five this year. Wow. Yeah, I guess no Jay Wright anymore. Yeah, no Jay Wright anymore kind of takes things on the downspin. That is unfortunate. Well, unfortunately, we do have to sign off with just about a minute left. I want to get some stuff. All but just here to end this, uh, you know, end the semester. Mitch, as always, like I said many times earlier today and throughout the past couple episodes, it's been a pleasure yeah, to be working job, with buddy. you for this semester. 
great as semester. Always uh, want to thank all the listeners as always for their continued uh, listenership. Yes, a big part of why this show was IBS nominated for the part. for our accomplishments. Yes, it's the more, motivation exactly. So I mean, thank you to all of you out there. Enjoy the holidays, whoever you spend it with, family, friends. Find something to be happy about this holiday season, everybody out there. That is what I, I will ask you to try to do. It's you know. We, we are not on this earth long enough to sit around during the holiday season. It, what, it's supposed to be a joyful time of year uh, to be miserable about something. So I will challenge all of you out there to try to find one singular thing uh, to try to find some gratitude in and, and some pleasure in your life. Mitch, anything else real quick? No, just really uh, a fun time. Thank you, everybody, so much. Uh, this started just uh, me being here for one time and one time only, and then it, it blossomed into a, just an incredible semester that we've had. Uh, I can't thank you guys enough. Can't thank you, Jack, enough for bringing me on, being a part of it. Uh, I, and I can't wait we gotta for the go, semester. Buddy.